Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will literally kill you. Welcome to Unrelenting, episode two for Thursday, October. No, no, it's November now. November 4th, 2021. I am Darren O'Neill. He is Gene Nevtuliev, and it's good that you're Russian, Gene. That's going to come in handy today. How are things down in Texas? Well, I think things are all right. There's too many Californians, but the weather is getting better. Well, they keep coming, Gene. They keep coming. You got to start sure shooting do. them. I, I wish we could. Is this not a law yet? I mean, this seems like something that could be before California the Texas. season. I, yeah. I think having California season would be interesting. The way it would have to work it would be that if they leave the Austin metro area, then uh, they're they're subject to be hunted. That's you got to the- keep them wrangled in the reserve. And if they wander out of the reserve, then it's open season. That makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. But there's, I mean, it's not just California. It's New Yorker types are coming here as well. And I've, I've seen this for a number of years, um, but it, I don't think a week goes by where I, I don't find somebody else had just moved to Austin. Like somebody that I've either watched or, or listened to. Um, and quite often Twitch people, YouTube people, you know, all kinds of streamer types. Um, and the latest one, and why I bring up New York, is uh, Michael Malice. He just moved to Austin. And I think this is part of the Joe Rogan move there. Therefore, it's probably a good place for me to move if I'm a podcaster as well. It's possible. Now, I and, had a theory on Planet Rage with a Larry Blydner this week. And I'm yeah. wondering that all of these Democrat cities that are turning into complete and utter hell holes, do you think they're doing that because they know? The only way for them to take political control of the country is to have more people that think like them in, you know, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco. They need more people like that in the other parts of the country. So they make it so bad where they are that they leave and they go to places that, you know, have up until then not sucked, which would be everywhere else. Well, that's a, I think that's a creative theory. Uh, I, I applaud your creativity on that one. I think realistically speaking, they assume everybody is just like them and are shocked that people are leaving. They don't like it here. People are pooping on the street and shooting up. What's not to like? But it's, it's the best place for not having cops violate your rights, though. That's right. what's important. Yes. Yeah. Everybody else is going to violate your rights. But the cops won't because they're gone. No, but they'll send a social worker to come and help you when your rights are violated. I always love when a social worker comes to take care of a 300 pound guy who's high on meth, who has a weapon. Yes. Well, there's you're going to run out of social workers. <laughs> yes, you're gonna run, Yeah. You better have a lot of social workers. This isn't a video game where they just keep respawning. Or is it? Maybe it could be a computer simulation. There is that At theory. this point. Looking at games uh, like Grand Theft Auto, they just don't seem nearly as fictional anymore. It does seem more realistic now that this is just the way cities are run. Yeah, it's just uh, that's kind of how it happens. And, you know, if you 
if you steal less than a what is it a thousand dollars in San Francisco, it's not really considered a crime anymore. Right, it's like nine hundred and fifty dollars. That's a weird number. So but, you know, same thing. People go shopping, fill up their grocery carts full of products, uh, and I'm not talking about food here. I'm talking about clothes and you know uh, durable goods and things. Yeah, they're doing it to and CVS. Then, they're they're doing it to Target. Leave, go right through the cash register and out to the their car because there are zero consequences for stealing. Right. So when there's zero consequences for doing something, why are people not going to do it? Which is why well, all these stores are closing now in places like San Francisco. Yeah. And it, it's it's a sad statement because what it what it really underlines to me is the fact that the, the percentage of stupid people in this country is so high that you really need religion just to keep people in check. Because if the laws aren't going to be enforced, the only thing that will keep society in check is the fear of hell right there has to be that's there has to be some repercussion to being bad or there has to be some really big well, uh, either a real repercussion like jail time or a theoretical repercussion like you're going to go to hell right or a reward for good behavior yeah or a reward for good behavior but it, it's it's really kind of sad that that people don't seem to have any controls over their own impulses there's no ethics to be found in large cities these days the moral compasses are broken yeah i think they're they're not just pointing in the wrong direction they're they they are not working at all they've taken the needles out of the compasses well and they're doing it intentionally which is where you really have to start looking into it because i don't believe for a minute that the people doing this are stupid i do believe they know what they're doing and then you got to well, ask maybe why. stupid is the wrong word. Maybe just morally bankrupt would be a better term. Misguided. There are people with eh, They're not guided. I think they're just doing what they want. But it's really it's it's the same kind of mentality that creates, you know, multi-generational feuds. Uh, it's the same kind of mentality that uh, allowed communism to gain a foothold. And then create uh, massive gulag prison camps for its population in Russia. It's that same mentality of, hey, as long as I get to do what I want, I, I'm not going to be bound by anybody else's rules. And uh, what happens to these other guys? In this case, it's the, the actual owners of the stores that are being robbed. Or in Russia's case, I mean, it was essentially the people that were rounded up and put into prison camps like that's really not my problem that's their problem well and then it's the mentality that if it's happening to walgreens and cvs and target or macy's or any of these big stores well they're rich they can they can take it it doesn't matter you're you're justified for doing it yeah i think there is a lot of that type of mentality because the stores that well and look at look at chicago when the riots were happening there the stores that were being pillaged were not CVS. No, it was Gucci. It, and it was Louis expensive Vuitton brands. And, yeah. yeah, they were on the, uh, the what was it? The gold. The Magnificent gold, Mile. Magnificent yeah. Mile. Yeah, I kept thinking Gold Coast, but that's a different place. Yeah, the Magnificent Mile. Exactly. So those those shops were the ones that are getting pillaged. So Because it's uh, open season. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, who doesn't want the $2,000 handbag? 
Well, and even more, I mean, they're going into places like the grocery stores. They're going into places like the pharmacies. They're going into one the other day. I saw a video from I think it was Ulta, one of these beauty supply places where they just go in and clear off the whole shelves because then they can go resell this. I'm guessing at, you know, flea markets or on eBay or something like that. Well, and and what we're going to end up with in cities like that, at least, if not everywhere, is what I've seen in other countries, um, including. Like I remember being in Australia and in parts, uh, well, of course, Australia is a prison colony. We have to remember that. It started that way. Why shouldn't it be again? I don't think it's ever changed from that. But I remember being there maybe 12, 13 years ago uh, in uh, Melbourne. And in parts of Melbourne, if you like all the doors on uh, to stores are locked and you have to push a button. And there's a camera looking at you and they have to buzz you in and they have to buzz you out. And this is something that I was not particularly familiar with coming from the U.S. Like, what What do you mean I have to buzz in and out to come into a store and leave a store? And it's it's just freaking selling iPhones. You know, it's like right. there's it's we're not talking diamonds here. Right. Which we're, is what they do talking, here for the jewelry stores. Cheap electronic oh, in Chicago. Yeah. Well, even yeah. in the suburbs for a lot of the jewelry stores, they have to buzz you in because they don't want to be robbed. Yeah. In Texas, I've never seen that. Interesting. Uh, it's I, I could imagine in New York, they probably have that as well. Like you're describing in Chicago, but out there, it was like literally an electronic store. You'd have to get buzzed in and out of because they're not confident that the people coming in aren't going to be robbing the place. So it is, uh, it's it's a strange phenomena. It's essentially when people start to act more like animals, they start being treated more like animals. And it's a vicious cycle. Right. Because once they're treated like animals, they'll have even more incentive to act like animals. Well, yeah. And, the only I, way- and, I, and I'm not trying to disparage animals here. I love animals. <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, people will stop using the faculties that they have as humans, which animals just simply don't have. Well, this concept that law and order doesn't matter if you're a victim and anybody that has a darker than really white skin is now considered a victim and you can do whatever you want. It's a dangerous precedent to set because when it comes down to it, all this nation in the United States has are the laws. And that's what keeps things from crumbling. We also have the guns, too. We do have the guns, which makes it a little harder to commit crimes in some areas. Although, you know, like Chicago, there have been multiple cases where, right, no guns, where homeowners who had a gun illegally, you know, a bunch of armed guys broke into their house. They gunned those people down that broke into their house, and then they were charged for having a gun, even though the people that came into their house came in with malice. I mean, not Mike, but they came in with malice. And with weapons, with guns. But no, no. The, when people come into your house with guns, you can't shoot them. It's illegal for you to have the guns. So you should just sit there and get killed or raped or whatever. That's the well liberal mentality. Speaking, if you have somebody in your house with a gun, your best weapon is not a gun at that point. It depends how good of a shot you are. It's a katana. Because <laughs> you need to cut their arms off. I mean, okay, that, that will prevent them from using guns. Yeah, that that seems like a logical thing. Yeah. So next to my shotgun is a katana. 
So which one are you grabbing? If now if one person comes in, I guess where well, they have a gun. You're not well, really... if they're outside the house, I'm grabbing the shotgun. Okay. If they're in the house, I'm grabbing the katana. Nice. So now you know what Gene's going to do if you break into his house. Yes. Be and ready for that. Be careful of the pugil sticks. <laughs> now the big news this week. I mean, how are you holding up after you heard that your hero, Tim Pool, had the Rona or has the Rona? I mean, what's what is the well, current I, status? I no, he's well past it. He had the Rona. I don't know if I would classify Tim as my hero. I <laughs> I think I've always said that Tim is on a path to be the next Rush Limbaugh. I think he's doing the right type of work to advance his career and hitting the right nerves that people have. So I think more power to him for doing that. Yeah, he's building um, the audience, no and, doubt. And I like I like Tim in general. I look I've never been like this staunch right-wing conservative guy. I've always been a libertarian. Pretty much since high school, I've identified myself as a libertarian. Now, more often than not, the Republicans will be uh, on the right side of positions that I'm on. But there are certainly positions that I'm not on the same page with Republicans on. And I think Tim, in a lot of ways, comes from the left side of the libertarian party. Uh, where I come from the right side of the Libertarian Party. And so he has now got more in common with Republicans uh, than uh, he does with liberals. But maybe 20 years ago, he had more in common with liberals than Republicans. So I don't fault him for that. A lot of people are calling him a grifter. He's just figured out that you can make more money in talk radio with Republicans. Well, I mean, okay. See, I mean, you. It didn't happen overnight. Like, he's been doing this thing, which is documenting what uh, rich corporations are doing for literally 15 years. So, calling him a grifter is a little disingenuous. Well, it'd be the same thing as calling. I mean, I give him more points on the believability scale that he is actually speaking what he believes over anybody in the mainstream media oh yeah so calling him a grifter just because he's hitting on something that's popular or i mean there was a lot including on the no agenda show when you heard about rush limbaugh's cancer it was like ooh, that's gonna be a really big opening mm-hmm. when rush goes and somebody's gonna fill that whether it's ending up being one person and it may be it may be tim pool whether it's a bunch of people like Bongino and Tim Pool and, you know. I don't like Bongino. I, I just, did, something rubs me the wrong way about him. Which is why yeah. people listen to different things. It depends yeah. on who you like and what you like. But somebody is going to try to fill those shoes. Yeah. And I could see where if you were somebody that was really savvy and just wanted to make money, you could do that. You could go, hey, you know what? I'm just going to turn totally and be this way because that's going to make me the most money. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's doing that. I don't buy that for a minute, but hey, every- no, and, and it's just as likely that 10 years from now, he's going to be perceived as being a grifter on the left side, because while he's, you know, been the, the poster boy of conservatives, he will still be in the same place he's at, which is like a slightly left leaning libertarian. But maybe by that point, society will move in a different direction and it'll be perceived as him changing. So I kind of, I don't have a problem with anything that I've him, that I've seen him talk about. I also think Tim is extremely, uh, what's the right word? Um, where people 
they think that he is not nearly as they underestimate him. That's the word I'm looking for. Yes. I think he's greatly underestimated because he chooses to dress. Yeah, the beanie. The beanie talk the, like the, a skateboarder. Yeah, the beanie more than anything else. I don't have any yeah. problem with the way he dresses, but constantly yeah. wearing the cap is is weird to me because yeah. it seems, you know, to me, and this is probably completely unjustified, but it reminds me then of a South Park character that's always dressed he the same is way. Literally a South Park character because his much like Steve Jobs and the South Park characters, he has dozens of the same exact color outfits. So he is always wearing the same exact clothes on every show you see him on. There's no variety ever because <clears throat> he's built up this image and uh, Jobs was not the first, but he was one of the people that figured out that if you create a certain image, which includes the clothes you wear, that type of consistency will allow a lot more people uh, to lower their guard and and feel like you're part of the family. Like that's a that that is absolutely a human psychology based decision. He, could he afford to buy other clothes that don't look the same? Of course he could. Yeah, well, then that's a no-win situation, too, because the minute he starts, oh, look, he's got a $2,000 watch on, or, oh, he yeah, this this yeah. shirt is, a, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there's, uh, Brushwood went through this. Brian Brushwood, uh, who, I'm, by the way, I'm supposed to be on one of Brushwood's shows in a couple of weeks. Yes, the Modern Rogue. Next week, yeah. Uh, you are a Modern Rogue, Gene, too. Everything I mean. is subject to change. Well, I, I kind of feel like that whole show was just based around me. Kind of. Right. And then they just decided to not have me on as a guest, fuckers. They do kind of go down the rabbit hole of so many different things, and they're usually yeah. firing projectiles at each other or trying super hot sauces. And it's uh, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh, but I, you know, I've I've been in a lot of these conversations with Brian before they ever started doing that show. So it is kind of fun watching it develop. I like Brian. He's a fun guy, and he's really easy to kind of troll and so, so i do enjoy trolling him as well um when i get an opportunity but um yeah i'll give you more details as i find out exactly what they want me to do and what they want me to be on so i'm still not totally clear but i know that we've been talking for a while that i i really probably should be a guest on one of his shows soon and with the clothes i get it when you're doing video you want well, to be anyway, able to put that, those yeah, clips together I the reason I, that's exactly right. But also the reason I brought it up is because for people that have been watching Brian for long enough, you will remember that Brian Brushwood was famous for having spiky hair. Yeah. The hair, a car- cartoon character hair. And yeah. he did that for probably 12, 15 years. And it was a very, very major decision that he was very worried about again. Cause I remember talking to him about this stuff of what happens to his audience when he stops doing the spiky hair. Like, how much is he going to lose of the people? And it seems like such a crazy question to ask, but these are things that people that have organically built up their audiences seriously become very stressed about is that if I've managed to cultivate an audience of literally millions of people subscribing to me, right? How fickle are they? What change can I make that is not going to piss off that audience? Because I don't know, maybe just by changing a hairstyle or taking the hat off, I'm going to lose like 20% of my audience, which represents $200,000. That's not worth it. I'd rather just keep my hat exactly the same and my hair exactly the same forever. 
which would be hilarious if they had because you see these things around the presidential uh, debates and that where they show the focus group and they give them like the little knobs you know that they can turn right. one way or the other yeah that would be great to have a tim pool one and then the hat comes off and it goes down and then the hat goes back on and oh, it yeah, goes up. yeah and and i guarantee you that is what he's thinking and he's probably not wrong uh, because once you've cultivated that sort of persona where you are perceived as a south park character it's like I remember the first time that Kyle took his hat off and it's like, oh, my God, he has red hair. What the <laughs> hell happened here? Right. When they this recognize is not the character that I. Yeah. I was like, whoa, who the hell is this? That so, would be hilarious. Tim pulls out a show without the beanie and people are like, who is that? Yeah. Who's why? Why has he got somebody else, co- you know, hosting for him this time around? Yeah. Or is a that guest his spot. brother? Yeah, is maybe. His brother, brother Daryl and his other brother, Daryl. Yeah. No. Well, that would be you. Now, would, you're both from Chicago, so I kind of assume you are Tim Pool's brother, are you not? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course, me and Tim go way back. That's why I figured you don't like him. It's, it's a personal <laughs> thing. It has a, nothing to do with his quality of product. It's, it's purely got to do with personality. He's one of those guys that has so much product, it turns me off. And it's the same thing with Gary Vaynerchuk. And I really liked Gary Vaynerchuk stuff that he put out for a long, long time. And I don't have any negative reason or a negative feeling about Gary Vaynerchuk. But he started putting out so much content that I was like, I can't keep up with it all. So how do you decide what to watch and what not to watch? And then it just became easier because I think I have a little bit of like, you know, obsessive compulsive or something. And it's like it's I'm the same way with music. It's like the minute I like an artist, I'm going to try to collect everything they've ever done stuff. Right. So I've done the same thing. It's like, what do you do if somebody's putting out way too much content for you to watch? It's like, well, yeah, maybe some people think. You could just tune in and out like it used to be with radio where, okay, if I'm in the car one day, I'll turn on rush and listen to them. But if I don't listen to them for a week, then it's no big deal. Podcasts are different because when you go back, all the shows are there. That's true. And then you have the question of, do you pick it up where you left off? Right. Pick it up at the latest show. Yes. What do you do? Trolls? Let me know. I'd like to email me because I'm curious what people do. If you take a long respite from a show, if you go back or not, but this is probably a good opportunity to reintroduce or re-mention our locals community yes we do have a locals community now that locals is part of rumble which would lead us to believe that they're going to be stable and not kick us off for being a crazy political conspiracy theorist well, uh, to right be fair, we're we're nowhere near the edge of political dialogue right. that would get us kicked off not yet but you never know we might but have a never, guest on you know yes. and uh so locals will be a place that we're going to be doing some stuff. And the address on that is what locals.com slash unrelenting unrelenting.locals.com. I knew it was something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the link will always be in the show notes for everybody. So our goal is this guys uh, is to really focus on the locals community and you can join locals and be a free member and you will get access to, you know, all our, podcasts obviously with all the links and that are in show notes and stuff we'll have uh both uh, i think you said you're gonna do as well and as me are gonna post stuff that is available to um uh free members right but I also can't, I, yeah i can't subject people to just your ramblings there. yeah because i like i already started across posting a whole bunch of stuff on there as well so there'll, there'll be like links of things that i talk about but links of things that i don't talk about necessarily on this podcast but that I nonetheless uh, like and uh, 
have forwarded to a bunch of friends and people that um, I wanted to see particular videos. So I'll have tons of videos, links of things that I think are important on there, as well as uh, we're going to, we've talked about it. We're going to slowly move into doing video, not just audio. And, but before we do an official video YouTube channel type thing, we're going to be doing a lot of stuff on locals first in terms of testing it, in terms of having uh, testing also how does a locals live stream with live interaction work, all that stuff's going to be happening on there. Right. Cause and that's what Scott Adams uses, right? When he's doing all of his stuff live, he does that yeah, in locals. And, and certainly a much more famous people than him even uh, use locals as well. There are so, people more famous than Scott Adams. Oh my God. So many <laughs> does, people. Does, does he believe that? Uh, I don't know. You know, I don't watch Scott Adams. So I, he's, he's, I love Dilbert cartoons. I've always enjoyed them. Uh, they're very true. Uh, a lot of them really come from ideas that he got sent into him by uh, people that are in the field, as it were, um, in the field that he used to be in. He he used to be a project manager and then he's really transitioned out of that many, many, many years ago, but he was still getting plenty of ideas for cartoons coming in from people that are actively in it and engineering and things like that, which is smart, keeps it relevant, but I cannot listen to the guy. There's something about his voice that just drives me nuts. And it may have something to do with the fact that he lost his voice, his ability to speak years ago and had to relearn it. Like he had some kind of brain thing happen that prevented him from speaking. Yes. Which was, and he had to be like, he had to relearn how to speak. And maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being insensitive, but, his voice just drives me nuts. Can't listen to it. See, some people say that about you, I'm sure, or me. No, not at all. I have a, a wonderful, happy, melodious voice. Oh, yeah. It's the, yes. the sing-song voice. Yes, and you CSB have the angry loves. voice. Yes, the shouty voice. The shouty voice, exactly. Now, I mean, we're also thinking now of the uh, setting up something like the Discord for people to post links, that kind of thing, or is that all a... Uh, a locals thing that'll yeah, handle so all of that. Yeah, so we've talked about doing Discord as well. This is just sort of the in-the-loop stuff that we want to bring you all on the conversation in. Um, because what we want to have is a lot more bi-directional communication with people that are listening to the show. We also have to get our number of subscribers up uh, because uh, that's going to be crucial now that we've created a new, uh, a new show that we're... I'm no longer just a guest on Grumpy Old Ben's the way I have been for the last dozen episodes or so. Now we actually have a brand new show, which is the one you're listening to right now. And this show is going to be built with a, uh, a locals community for certainly for anyone that would like to contribute, anyone that likes hearing what we're putting out there as content and uh, get involved. And that means both financially contribute and we're going to have a couple levels on locals and they're both going to be very low. But enough to kind of differentiate you from the freeloaders, as it were. Um, but also for the freeloaders and for the people that want to donate, there's going to be plenty of opportunities to interact and be a lot more involved with this show. Um, one of the things we've talked about doing, in fact, we're kind of lining up our first guest as well. So it's not just going to be the two of us yapping back and forth at, uh, at each other. Um, which certainly we, we have been doing for a dozen shows and we're capable of doing, but I you think I like to bring in a guest now and then as somebody who's more of an expert in the particular field 
And uh, I think uh, aside from just having good information, I think that also helped to kind of differentiate the show a little bit from other shows, like, say, the one that precedes this one immediately on the stream, where there's always two people speaking. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think that our conversation is going to be a lot more interesting if when we start covering a topic that neither one of us is necessarily an expert in, but we certainly still have opinions about if we can manage to reach out and pull somebody in who's an expert. And guess what? The best source of those experts of, of the future guests for the show are going to be the current listeners. Yeah. No question about that. And we do want you on the new RSS feed as well. I mean, we're going to be updating the old grumpy old Ben's feed through the end of the year. Otherwise, you can now go to the podcast index, do a search for unrelenting. You'll find us in most of your finer podcast apps. If not, you can go to unrelenting.show and you'll find a link to the RSS feed there. If you need to do it the old manual way that we need to set up so we can be boosted and all that stuff as well to be fully podcasting 2.0 compliant, you know, and then there's the whole question of transcripts and chapters and all the stuff there that, uh, we need yeah. more Dreb Scotts to, to well, do and, and as far as transcripts and the pre-show and post-show, those are the types of things that we're going to be able to stick on locals right away for people that are helping us to actually make the show. So for even starting at the low level contributor, um, you'll get access to the pre-show recordings, the post-show recordings, and then transcripts uh, fairly quickly will be available as well there i'm generating the transcripts i actually have been for the past shows as well i've just not been uploading them anywhere because in in the way that grumpy old ben's was set up the the structure of that show just was not conducive to having uh full transcripts being available for this new show that's absolutely the case so if you're hearing this live well you kind of get a sense of what we do pre-show and post-show if you stick around yes if sir. you're hearing this as a podcast then you probably have not been listening to the pre-show or post-show. And the main difference is that since that is not being broadcast live, in the pre-show and post-show, not only do we talk about how we're doing stuff, what we're doing uh, as far as you know, gear, equipment, technical settings, whatnot, but we're also quite often trying to decide the next topics of conversations, what, what kind of clips we're going to have, and uh, potentially uh, talking about things that would not be appropriate for the stream. So if you want to get access to stuff that involves uh, more of the topics that we would not want to risk putting out on a live stream, all of that will be available in the pre-show and post-show recordings on the um, uh, Locals community as well. Right. And no, Surly Mofo, we are not leaving mastodon not leaving the no agenda stream that is where these will be live even when we go video there will be an audio feed to the no agenda stream exactly exactly yeah the we're not we're not moving we're what we're doing is we're leveraging locals and what they're able to do for us in order to create a uh a community where we can keep people that are most interested in this show we're still going to be very much participating in No Agenda Social. I think Darren and I are probably uh, two of the most prolific participatory people on there to begin with anyway. No, CSP uh, is. 
We we I, we well, don't. I don't know don't about nearly that. As I, much. I think I think I've done somewhere around sixty posts per day in the last few days. <laughs> Damn, I'm not sure CSB is hitting those levels. He's no. actually got a job. <laughs> but yeah, uh, right. I don't. <laughs> right. You need you need some uh, more time. But also, it's a place where you know I I enjoy talking to people on there because it is federated. Quite often, the the replies back that I get from my posts on No Agenda Social aren't even coming from people who are on no agenda social. They're coming from people on other federated servers that happen to have noticed the post and have an opinion and then reply. It's a, it's a good opportunity for me to get them to subscribe to more people on no agenda social and to kind of find out more about no agenda, which we all, you know, we all love that show. We all kind of started our journey of finding and talking to each other through no agenda. So, None of that's changing. We're not, we're not leaving that place at all. Right. The you question, know, unless they kick us off. Of right. course, if no agenda kicks us out, uh, it's not going to be up to us. Uh, it's going to be, uh, we're going to have to be out on our own, but we certainly don't have any plans of leaving. Right. It's, uh, we're just adding more, more structure in place. Well, it's the point of having a place where the community can be. And I know we should probably start the unrelenting room on the zero node server when we're doing the shows live, but we're doing it, you know, on the no agenda stream. So that's always been using the no agenda chat room, the troll room. There's this to me, it harkens back to the days. And I know this, this makes me old of the bulletin boards on sites where there would be a community where people could converse back and forth, have ideas. You know, you can say you can do that on Mastodon, but it's like, you can't really have a unrelenting Mastodon. You can start your own server, but then, I mean, I don't know. I've signed up for a bunch of other Mastodon servers, but I only use the no agenda social. Well, one they because, also come and go a lot. Right. That's the other problem with Mastodon servers. Right. And those get very expensive. So it came down to, well, you could do it on Patreon, which there's issues with Patreon. Uh, you could do it on locals. I'm sure there's issues with locals. Yeah. People are complaining that you can't link to stuff and locals. You have to log in to see anything. And I know you, that's, can link, you could totally do deep linking, but you do have to log in. What you can't do is anonymous locals posts. That's totally the case. And the reason again for that is because locals is really meant to be a community for supporters. It is, it was created initially as a sort of a, a knockoff of Patreon, but then they've added more functionality to it. And I, I use Patreon in the past. I use it for non-political stuff, but I would sooner not support Patreon. I would sooner not give a, a slice of every donation going to us going to Patreon because right. Patreon has kicked off a bunch of people who I enjoy watching and listening to. And Lauren Southern was one of the first, and that really kind of put a bad taste in my mouth about Patreon because it's like, shit. You know, she's not doing anything that is anywhere near as bad as what a lot of uh, people that are still on Patreon are doing as far as organizations are concerned. She was kicked off because she was becoming popular as a conservative gadfly. And that's not a good thing. So if we're going to support somebody, it's going to be supporting uh or, or by by supporting, I mean paying for infrastructure. Right, that's or, not going to disappear. Yeah, you know that's a big part because Discord had the same issue. People disappeared from Discord, right? Yeah, and I I like Discord, and it's a great platform for people that are doing gaming. It's got well, and a uh, lot of people are used to it. Yes, a lot of people already have it installed, which makes it super easy. Discord is like the Slack for games. Slack is like the Discord for business. Um, but 
the and we may very well still do some stuff on Discord. The the issue with putting everything on Discord is that if you want to do anything tied to uh to supporters and looking at how much contributions they made, the only thing that ties directly to uh Discord is Patreon. So there again, we'd have to end up using Patreon if we wanted to build a community inside of Discord. Right, which sucks. So, and if we wanted to just set up our own server and set up like a no gender social type federated server, then it would literally be on us individually to create all this stuff, all the different tiers and to balance out who's going where it's, it's a bunch of administrative work that honestly I don't want. And I don't think you want either, nope. which, uh, utilizing locals, uh, they've already built out the full infrastructure for. So I think we, we probably stopped talking about locals and, the yes. benefits they're off. Here's the bottom line. If, if you're enjoying this show enough to donate any money financially, we're going to try and steer you towards and really strongly recommend that you do it via locals. Um, we'll certainly take Bitcoin and other payment methods as well. Yes. Yeah, snail that's mail. That's what you prefer. Right. And, and even snail mail, which, you know, you're going on a limb doing that. I would, I, I'd probably draw the line before snail mail just because I don't like going to the mailbox, but. Oh, I don't. I send my wife. <laughs> oh, well, perfect. Yes. You've got, you've got a wife that you can send. I yes. don't. So I'd have to do it myself. But, uh, but for anybody that doesn't have a huge preference, uh, if you go through the local community, you're guaranteed to have access to content that will not be published anywhere else. And if there are other solutions out there, we're always looking for them. Oh, sure. Yeah. We're not like you know, married to that. We didn't sign a, a multi-year contract with them or anything, but now that they have made the jump from just being a little standalone platform to being part of a much bigger platform hosted on completely independent servers that can't be taken down because they local used to be hosted on Amazon, which was right. my biggest gripe about it. It's like, you guys are building a platform for people that are getting kicked off of YouTube and Patreon, but you're doing it on a platform which itself has kicked off other platforms. Right. Where Rumble so it's not is a great move. They're really much big into the um, do whatever you want, as long as you don't break the laws of the country you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, I mean, that's the bottom line. And it's like, you know, Dave Rubin, who started it is a, uh, a conservative gay man. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. And he's on the Glenn Beck network, which of course got him a lot of bad people not liking uh -huh. him. And, uh, so these, it's an interesting move, really, that Rumble has taken that over. Just yeah. gave us a lot of confidence because if that hadn't been the case, you know, two weeks ago, we'd have been like, oh, I don't know. Would, would you, what would, why would you use? Yeah, locals? I mean, we would still probably begrudgingly be using Discord and Patreon. Yes. Because we do still want something that creates a platform for extra content to be available for the people that are. Keeping keeping the network, uh, you know, afloat and getting paid for. So yeah, and if it all sucks, uh, who knows? We may just start a PHP BB again and do something like that. And you know, yeah, it's, I really hope it doesn't suck. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but I, I've run a few of those, and the amount of of management that you end up having to do. I mean, you eventually, what happens is it's always the people that are administrating these things. They they try and pawn it off on some schmuck that comes along and that's willing to do it. And then it's like, here, uh, what I'm going to nominate you as an, as a, uh, moderator. And, uh, all you got to do is just do this, 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 and this. And if then the you, guy getting yeah. the moderator gig is like super happy. Cause now they're like, Oh, well they trust me. I can do all kinds of things now. 
but really that it's just a way for the guys that started it just to not have to do the to not do the work, work right themselves. Yeah. right tim pool's got a lot of people working for him though i mean he it, does have a lot i don't think he's paying a whole lot of money for him but he does have a, he's got like 20 plus people right now he, he probably infected a few of them with the rona too well it's interesting because they apparently uh three people got infected all of a sudden then yeah and they did a lot of tests of course which non-stop is interesting. Tests. Yes, they do nonstop tests. And, and where I normally don't watch your Tim Pool content, I found this interesting. That, yeah, you actually uh, watched him for the full episode. There was well, through at least twenty minutes of it, which okay. then he was kind of winding down. But you know, he does was, repeat himself quite a bit. That's one of the biggest complaints that I've heard people have consistently about Tim Pool is what whatever twenty-two minute episode comes out could have been ten minutes long. And I do agree with that. He he will say stuff. And he'll get through about three, four minutes. Then he'll jump back to kind of repeating what he said two minutes ago. He'll go another five, six minutes. Then he'll jump back to what he said two or three minutes before that break. And there's this like constant little loops of repetition going. And I, I don't know this. I haven't like asked him, but I think the reason for that is because he really understands the medium well. And the medium is that people will, most people will only watch for about three minutes. That's the majority of the viewership. Uh, People that stick around longer than that, they'll tend to last for about 15 minutes or so. But everybody's asleep by 20 minutes in? By 20 minutes in, the only people watching are either hardcore or people that are watching it in the background, which is how I watch it. I don't like sit and watch Tim Pole actively and do nothing else while I'm watching it. There's there's way too much content for that. But I will quite often just have Tim Pole's stuff playing in the background while I'm doing something else. While I'm you know doing some spreadsheets, I'm doing right. some work, I'm getting ready for client meeting, whatever it is. Um, I will have that playing in the background at about half volume level, so I can still focus and concentrate. So maybe I'm not getting everything out of the the uh watching the program but here's the beauty of it because he is somewhat repetitive i probably am getting everything even though it's playing in the background right he knows to hit the high points multiple times multiple times yeah so if i miss it the first time because i was focusing on typing something i'll i'll actually get it three or four minutes later when he repeats it and those shows tend to be about 22 24 minutes which is what youtube's maximum uh, like that's your your maximum point of peeking out for advertising rate of revenue is right now, which is funny, just the way the difference in how they do their programs. Bill O'Reilly being old school and just old. I mean, he's what, 70 something years old, yeah. always recommends people have a pen and paper to take notes while they're uh, watching so the program. Funny. Yeah, but it's like that's the way. You, and he was a school teacher at one point. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's how you did it rather than, well. I could repeat this three or four times to make sure people that it sinks in. He's going in a different way. Not that one way is better than the other. It just may be depending on a generational thing, but he does offer as part of his service, the audio only version, the video only and the transcript. So the transcript to me is always very helpful because I don't keep a pen and paper while watching, but I remember what day that he said something on. And if I need to go look up something about whoever that he talked about on Wednesday, I can just go to the audio transcript and find it. So I can see where the transcripts could be fun to now, have. Does he have a free version or is it everything paid no matter what? No, he has the it's free on uh, 
the radio. So I believe you can get that through streaming just on like ABC radio out of New York. And it's on, I think like 300 different stations around the country that they will play this at like seven o'clock, I believe at night central time Uh or so. So there is that possibility. You can listen to it live or quasi live. Correct. Uh, on the radio on the radio you can watch or, it on the television streaming on the first yeah. network which i've never i don't even know where to find the first i've heard that this mm. is a thing i think it's like Bex the blaze thing but mm. it's the first and you can then get it through his own website but they it is available to people if they don't want to pay to yeah. get the at least the radio audio version of it yeah, yeah that's a, it's an interesting and then he adds the video which the video it's kind of like our show i don't think the video is vital to doing it at all but some people me included like to just sit down and turn it on the tv which we were talking about doing a roku app and all that kind of stuff too because i think that's just finding a dude named ben or a coder that can just point people to the right place and give people more ways to get to the content yeah absolutely if if we can get something done fairly easily then stuff like a roku app or being on a roku channel of some app or whatever uh, that would be certainly adding another ability for people to uh, be able to see us, but it's not, it's not absolutely crucial. And I think it's a nice to have, and we're certainly going to do all the initial testing of the video stuff. And I don't, I don't mean just like, does the camera work, but like right. getting the format together, right. like how many switch things do we need or can we just, cause I know I will definitely want to be sharing my, my browser for a good chunk of the time, not necessarily have the camera on me the whole time. You like the little head in the corner, like Tim pool. Yeah. I do like the little head in the corner because (laughs) I think the content in the browser, if it's related to what we're discussing is going to be a lot more interesting for people than simply watching my lips move. No, I would agree. Now, if you, uh, if you contribute $3 a month, you get the video feed. If you do $33 a month, Gene wears pants. So, I mean, there's, there's that breakdown there, (laughs) but, uh, Tim and his might get more than $33 to have me put my pants on. Come on. That's true. That's true. It might go way, way up, but Tim's experience with COVID I I thought was really interesting because not a lot of people with the political leanings that he has are talking about this. It's, it's a really interesting mismatch video was on YouTube. I, I expected that to be like a rumble only thing or, you know, a private video only to his members. Well, and incidentally, right. what Tim Poole did, just to interrupt this strange thought for a sec, is he's big enough to just build out his own from scratch version of essentially locals. Right. Well, so, that's it too, because YouTube makes money on him. So they think yeah, twice about yeah. turning him off. Yeah, I think Tim Poole, he doesn't have the biggest subscriber number on YouTube, but he is so damn prolific that I think in terms of raw minutes consumed, he has got to be one of their biggest, at least in the political space, one of the biggest people ever on YouTube. I don't think they've got anybody that comes close that that's politically oriented in terms of the number of raw minutes, which is, of course, translates directly into advertising minutes. But his COVID experience, it was bad. Yeah, from- it, it did not sound fun. No, and it sounded like it. And this is where. There's a lot of people who have mentioned, you know, they don't think it even exists and whatever. And, well, you know, it's a 99.98% survivability rate. Sure. But here you got a guy that's in his mid thirties who seems to be 
relatively healthy. Yeah. Seems to be fairly Although active. Some people assume he's not, but I, I will say uh, for, you know, someone who's watched a lot of his content, he, he rollerblades every single day, which really brings me back to the eighties. Good days. Oh yeah. You got some I neon remember rollerblading in the eighties with everything neon with a Walkman on. Oh, you bet your ass with a Walkman on. Absolutely. <laughs> no knee pads, no helmets, just the fucking rollerblades the way they were meant to be. Listening then, to the Go Go's or the B fifty twos in your headphones. Oh, B fifty twos were definitely in the in the mix. I can tell you that for sure. Um, and then um, so he does that. He doesn't drink alcohol, even though they have plenty of alcohol at their studio. Uh, he in, he doesn't smoke. He doesn't do any drugs, including light stuff like pot. He doesn't vape. He doesn't smoke pot. Like he doesn't do any of the shit that much like me. He's also fully in support of people being able to do right. And, uh, I, I have to say I have greatly cut down my alcohol consumption during last year and into this year, simply because I've, I've generally only drank alcohol when it was social with other people. Right. And there's and, been so, so many less chances now. Yeah. So what I found is just not being in nearly as many social situations. I found myself just, consuming way less alcohol so it's probably good for me i would imagine um i've never really had an issue with alcohol consumption but there were plenty like you go back three four years you know i was at either get-togethers uh or dinner with drinks for at least five days a week so i was drinking booze at least five days a week i wasn't drinking out of the bottle but i was drinking (laughs) a lot of expensive wine and a lot of you know after uh after meal cocktails and things so what you're saying, a great idea for the uh, the community would be to do like a monthly whiskey late night show where you can just, you know, do uh, unrelenting after dark. Yeah, now that would be fun. I could totally do something like that. We can talk about different whiskeys that people try and have them describe exactly what they're doing. And um, uh, the. uh God, I don't remember the channel off the top of my head, but the I think it's the the Whiskey Academy. Yeah, your buddies uh, out there in Austin. Yeah, my my buddies in Austin. So they uh, they started a whiskey review channel, which is fantastic. They've been running like they built it. They they started now. I it's probably been three years since they started, but uh, again, it was basically them and um, Brian Brushwood and myself having drinks. And chatting about, like, man, you guys have so much deep knowledge about whiskey, you really ought to put it on YouTube. And so they they started the channel. Uh, and they had you on. Yeah, I've, I've been on it for a couple of times uh, on their show. But they do, like, every week they do whiskey reviews. And a lot of it is uh, very thematic. So they'll do different regions, but they also will do... Stuff like, you know, the best whiskey under $50 kind of stuff. Best right. bourbon under $50. It is and the Whiskey Vault. 399,000 subscribers. Go make it 400. Yeah. These guys are good. Whiskey Vault. So they're, uh, they're, they're probably now the biggest whiskey channel in the world because I think they've surpassed all the other ones. Yeah. And the they, genius was, now was it your idea for them to have people send them the booze? Because that, that I wish I could take uh, credit for that. No, the idea of sending the booze was not mine. But what was mine was were two things. One was 
don't start doing ads or trying to ask for money until you've built up a big enough audience of about a hundred thousand people or so. And so they, they did that. They ran it with no ads and not really asking people for any donations for, uh, over a year. And then the other thing was, uh, in coming up with the different levels once they did start doing donations. And that was something that they, they went on Patreon, you know, they're non-political, right? So they're, they're right. totally safe being on Patreon. You'd hope. Yeah. And their first month when they started taking donations, they had $22,000 per month in donations. Damn. You could buy some yeah. booze with that. Uh, you could buy a lot of booze with that. And in their early days, I mean, you know, Daniel was going out and actually spending his own money buying a lot of the whiskeys. Um, I donated some of the whiskeys, uh, the, the room that they used to film in, they don't film there anymore, but the, the room that they used to film at in was actually a room that I donated to the nonprofit organization that this whole thing is on the campus of. So it's, I, I have a very, very, uh, long, uh, connection with them. Uh, but I, I certainly will defer, uh, to Daniel. Well, a lot more so than I would um, to Rex. Rex is more of a consumer whiskey. Daniel is more of a sommelier whiskey. Uh, but they're both fun guys. I mean, Re- uh, the one thing I will say about Rex, uh, he's got a great fun personality. He's definitely a troll. Um, he's labeled me an, an IRL troll uh, pretty much since we met. He's like, you're like the IRL troll, aren't you? He's not uh, wrong. Dude, that guy can put away food like there's no tomorrow. Well, he is Whenever, like, the, he's like my height. He looks like he's at least six, six. He was, a, he is a probably guy. about six, five. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, he, uh, he, he has a couple of skills that I don't know if they're necessarily good skills. One is his hair grows faster than anybody else I've ever met. <laughs> well, it's good as long as it doesn't fall out. He will go from like shaving his head to having what looks like a six months worth of hair in one month. And, um, the other skill, if you want to call it that is, uh, and this is actually something he has in common with his dad as well, because I, I also know his dad and, uh, had lunch with him recently, but he, he will put the food away. Like there's no tomorrow. You know, we go out to eat lunch. We're ordering for four. It's it, it, no kidding. Like there's plenty of consumption happening. Uh, but yeah, so you know, that's probably, we'll put, put a link to their YouTube channel in the show notes. To the Whiskey Vault, yes. Yeah, and I think they've actually got like three different channels now. Because that's the one thing that everybody that starts actually getting big enough on YouTube uh, realizes or is told by other people that are on YouTube is like, hey, if you have 100,000 subscribers, you'd be an idiot not to create a second channel because at least half of them will subscribe to both channels. And so instead of just putting more videos on your main channel, you split your videos up into two channels. And that way, even though you might have a huge overlap in viewership, now it's going to be that much more attractive to the advertisers. So you love the ad run on a higher rate. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, I don't think the ad money comes anywhere near what they're making from Patreon, but it ain't, you know, it's free money. There it's that you're not going to turn down. If you get 20 grand off Patreon, another six, seven grand off of YouTube, 
you know, it's money. And how we got down this rabbit hole from Tim Pool's in good shape, I'm not really sure. But well, I think you kept changing the topic, <laughs> if I recall correctly. Right. Um, that's me. how these things usually happen. The topic changed. Tim Pool's fine. But he's in, he has he's some a, again, bad reactions. Well, he's right. For somebody that is in the age range of under 40 and in good health, yeah. that's what most people would tell you. Like, I ah, don't worry about it. You're just going to get a cold. Yeah. And as long as he's not playing this up for dramatic effect, and I don't believe he I don't is. Think he is. Yeah. It sounded like he went from this is no big deal to, oh, my God, I could really have a problem. Soon. I think I think that some of that was simply a factor of him having had good health. And here's what I mean by that. Well, if you've if never been sick, you don't exactly, know what to expect. That's exactly it. If you're somebody that's generally been in good shape, you're not overweight, you don't have high blood pressure, you don't have all these other factors. You've just never had to deal with anything beyond getting a cold. And he's talked about how he very rarely has even gotten colds, maybe once every five years. So if you have that type of experience where maybe the guy, even though he's 35, he may have had 10 colds and a couple of flus in his entire life. And then he got the Rona. Else. And then he got what it really amounts to a, a heavy duty flu, uh, AKA, uh, Cove. Uh, then like, Obviously, it's the worst. And he's, I think, said in the video, this is the worst uh, infection I've ever had in my entire life. Yes. But and it's not because he's had a bunch of other infections. It's because he hasn't had a bunch of other infections that this is the worst. Perhaps. So the, the interesting thing was how this was treated, which is he went to the local clinic or called the local yeah, clinic he, once he had the positive test. He called. He didn't yes. go. He called and said, so. If I come in, what will you do? And all they kept saying was, well, we'll, we'll check and see if you have it. And he's like, yeah, but so, I already well, I tested. Know I have it. Right. Yeah. Tested. So what's the point of me going to see you guys if you just are going to check and then do nothing? And they told him the same thing they told one of my parents' friends, which was, I just take some Tylenol. Yeah. And that's a really bad idea. My yeah. parents' friend died, but, uh. You know, he was in his 70s and did have some other comorbidities. So, I mean, it was a little bit different than Tim Pool, but this was at this point in the game, the either ah, just just take Tylenol. It's like, no, yeah, that is that take Tylenol for anything. It's a dangerous drug. This is By the way, not, we don't give medical advice, no, but no Tylenol, Tylenol, which used to be common as aspirin in the 80s, has been over and over linked to more organ failures. And at this point, I would not keep Tylenol in, in the drawer at all. Now, unfortunately for people like my dad, who are on blood thinners, you can't take any other Advil. You can't take aspirin. You can't take well, any can of that. You can take aspirin if you're on blood thinners. Because it thins the blood. You can't. Yeah. So wouldn't that be a good thing? No. <laughs> they don't want you taking no? things that further thin the blood. No. Well, if you take aspirin, then maybe you could get off the blood thinners. It's the question of e- equaling all that stuff out, I guess. You know, or you could just you can drink whiskey and beer every day, and that All also thins the blood. I take aspirin every day; it's part of my regular vitamins, and uh, I think it it's been around long enough, and it's proven its positive benefits, and and without any of the negative benefits. Well, there have been questions again lately on that, which is hilarious. There really haven't been questions. There's been PR put out by drug companies that can't make any money off people taking aspirin. So we need something better than aspirin. That's probably true. 
But yeah. that it's, was it's, the advice that Tim Pool was given, which was just take some Tylenol. And then he did the smart thing. And I thought it was a great job of name dropping. I mean, I guess I would do the same thing if I was like, you know, then I called my buddy Joe Rogan and uh, and Rogan's like, dude, you got to do more than take Tylenol. And uh, I don't know if he hooked him up with the doctor or if it didn't sound like it. It sounds like he just told them you need to find a doctor that's willing to do this. Yes. And which I, I think. You know, somebody for Tim, he does have over 20 people working for him, found the guy, found a guy, did a bunch of phone calls, found the guy that in their local area, which is on the border of uh, Maryland and uh, West Virginia. But Tim actually lives in West Virginia, but there's studios in Maryland just across the border. So So somewhere in that area, they found a guy, a doctor that was going to be willing to prescribe. The kitchen sink. Yeah. The Rogan treatment. The Rogan treatment, which is like, hey, let's give you all the shit that has a potential to work. Right. Regeneron, the Z Pack, the you know, zinc, the uh the the other one, the 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 horse paste, (laughs) the ivermectin, yeah. yeah. Ivermectin. And most importantly, the the mono uh Right, that's the Regeneron, the mononucleo, you know, the antibodies. Right. So, oh, that's right. Regeneron's the company. Right. So doing that, he said that it took him, I don't want to lie here. I think it was the next day, but I, I know it was he like, said he, right. I think you said he woke he up at like 4 a.m. Yeah. He woke up at 4 a.m. and everything was gone. The fever was gone. His lungs felt clear. He didn't really feel pain the way that he was feeling muscle pain before. So it was it was about a day later after getting all this stuff from the doctor. Yes, and then he didn't want to take the Z pack and all the other stuff, and they're like, "No, dude, take it because right. your, your immune system just got kicked in the nuts." Basically, is what happens. Right. So you don't want. Well, and it it is true. And again, without providing medical advice, if you actually do a little research about the the way that COVID works, the the thing that you actually are at the greatest risk from is uh, the the cytokine storm that's happening in your body, which is your immune system right, going into it. overdrive and not shutting down quickly enough for your own benefit. And so what they've found now, there's, there's new studies coming out on this, is that people who have compromised immune systems actually have lower symptoms of COVID. That would make sense. Yeah. Like AIDS patients. Right. Or cancer patients. And yeah. Yeah. So you're actually in a better group if you have a disease that has adversely affected your immune system to have milder effects with COVID. Right. Because it's not allegedly the virus getting you. It's your body's reaction to the virus. Yeah. yeah. Now it's, but you could say the same thing about AIDS, right? It's like right. the AIDS isn't what kills you. It's the fact that AIDS turned off your immune system that kills you. Yes, which is again so vicious here, circle. It's like well, it's not the virus that kills you; it's the virus putting your immune system in overdrive that kills you. Uh, the immune system is is an interesting thing in our bodies in general because uh, the the immune response obviously exists to take out pathogens from the body uh, and uh, either expel them or destroy them, obliterate them, but. Once you get down to that molecular level, the, it's it's harder and harder to separate what's a pathogen and what's not. 
millions of Americans have uh, symptoms of their immune system being in overdrive uh, to the detriment of them because that's what allergies are. Right. Your allergies are the symptom of your immune system not turning off at appropriate levels of uh, pathogens. And so much of it is having inflammation in your system where it shouldn't be, which is why there's some really weird drugs that they're thinking works possibly with COVID. There was even one that was like an ADHD drug or something. Mm-hmm. that they're like oh wait this is showing promise there's they're still finding I think stuff there's that, actually uh, there was a study i read that that where they tested cocaine and they found that that also lessens uh the effects of covid and you get twice the amount of work done too at the same time so there's a lot, there's a lot of benefits in coke <laughs> this takes yep. you right back to the 1980s you put your sure don does. johnson shirt suit on and uh i had one of those i had a white suit and and the sweater to go with it <laughs> well okay so you had to have that but yeah. you know, if you if you weren't uh, with the boat and the pet alligator, you're still not full Don Johnson cool. Does a pet snake count? It, it's close. It's close. <laughs> not quite as deadly as the no. alligator, but much more legal, I would suppose. Uh, not in Florida. <laughs> okay, I guess it's actually yeah, it technically more illegal in Florida than the alligator. But yeah, but you're in Texas. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, in Texas. I'm I'm definitely legal in having a. A 20-foot reptile living in my house. Vox is currently getting over the coronavirus right now, and she wants to know where you sign up for the cocaine treatment. <laughs> Dr. Gene will take care of you. Yes. No. We do not provide medical <laughs> advice in this show. I've said it numerous times at this point. Yes. If you take uh, medical advice from a podcaster, yeah. you probably have bigger problems. Here's the thing. If you take medical advice from anybody that's in front of a camera or a microphone, you probably shouldn't. Yes. Get and a doctor that Fauci, you trust. Yeah. And it includes uh, Dr. Oz. It includes all these quacks that have really mu- shifted to uh, being entertainers. Right. And away from being doctors. In fact. Well, they're generalists. Uh, that's all they are. Well, they yeah. will only be generalists. They, that's right. They're, they're totally only generalists. Dr. Fauci, I don't expect you today to admit that you approved of NIH funding for gain of function research in Wuhan. But your repeated denials have worn thin, and a majority of Americans, frankly, don't believe you. Even the NIH now admits that EcoHealth Alliance did perform experiments in Wuhan that created viruses not found in nature that actually did gain in lethality. That was obviously a clip from Rand Paul. Right. The fact that I know his voice leads me to believe there's been too much of this stuff going on. Yeah, because his voice isn't particularly uh, soothing. But he is an actual doctor. He, he is a real doctor. Yes. And, but, and more so, more importantly, a practicing physician, unlike Fauci. Uh, Rand Paul, uh, every year, uh, treats patients that cannot, uh, cannot afford medicine, uh, as part of his, um, nonprofit efforts. Yeah. Part of being human, you know? Well, or <laughs> human with enough time in a, and then and resources name to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think I would love to see more politicians keep practicing what their actual field of study is. And the politicians that were never, never had real jobs that were never actually anything other than purely politicians or community activists. Uh, those are the ones we need to get rid of first. Well, there's, yeah, there's too many doctors who are more interested in making money 
making a spiff yeah. from the drug companies. It's hard to find a doctor you can trust. You, it's really worthwhile if you can do so. I mean, our family doctor, I trust. He's honest. He was the one that told me when he got the the booster, I believe it was, from Moderna, because mm-hmm. doctors get this stuff first. He said he has never felt as bad as when he got the Moderna booster that he could barely get out of bed, muscle pain, you know, and this went on for like a day or two. And, you know, still believes in the vaccines that they're doing, you know, good things for people. But let's understand there are side effects and there are people who have worse side effects. If your doctor is just like, no, no, you need to take it. Nothing bad's going to happen. They're lying to you. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think there's a there are doctors that really treat their jobs much like auto mechanics where they clock in in the morning they go next 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 with each patient they do whatever the most expedious thing is uh in terms of prescriptions and they move on and then there are doctors that actually give a shit about their patients and there's fewer and fewer of them right because the the idea of a private practice is disappearing in this country most doctors are just employees of health organizations these days and a big part of that and again, I've had this conversation with my physician. A lot of this is because of the government regulations and things like Obamacare, which is making it harder and harder for doctors to make a living that is worth dealing with the crap. I'm like, I don't know. The people like Taylor Swift can make, you know, 50 million a year to just go sing. It's like, I don't know. I think doctors should be able to make a little more than a uh, hundred grand or whatever yeah. they're making at the normal level of being a GP. I think it's a little more than that, but it's in the ballpark. I I don't think it's crazy money. I think, yeah, I think the, the average solo practitioner, you know, private practice guy probably still pulls in around 200 to 20 and, uh, but certainly working for a hospital, they're probably down to 150, 180. But Tim pool. So he found that doctor, got him the kitchen sink. Did we not finish with Tim pool yet? And he came back around. I'm I'm still wondering now, is he a guy? What the question I wanted to ask is you watch him all the time. I have no idea what Tim Pool's stand is on vaccines. I know he would never want anybody to be forced to it, but I'm wondering yeah, if he's if one of these guys that is pro. Has he taken it? Do you know? I'm guessing not. He, Yeah, um, I think he would have said if he took it and he's never said it's anybody's business whether he took it. So that leads me to think he did not. Makes sense. Uh, but he did say that of their staff, of the three people that got COVID other than him, uh, one was vaccinated and got COVID. Uh, second one was unvaccinated and got COVID. And the third one tested positive for COVID. So theoretically had it, but he had no symptoms and he did have a vaccine. So he says, based on that, it certainly seems like the vaccine may do something good. It is certainly not guaranteed to have a positive effect, but, you know, of the three people um, other than him, one didn't have vaccine, got COVID with symptoms. One did have a vaccine, got COVID with full symptoms, and one had a vaccine, had no symptoms, but was showing infected. Which we know the tests are crap. Especially yeah, the home tests, but, I'm but guessing. No, but they did, so they didn't just rely on PCR. They, they did antibody tests. Okay. 
Okay, so that makes sense too then. Yeah. Yeah. So they they went to that effort at that point cuz they they also said that all of three of these people showed not infected with covid on the uh, PCR test. Ooh. That is interesting as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder how many cycles that they were running them at. Yeah, not enough obviously. <laughs> obviously jack those up. No. So I mean that was an interesting story and it he seemed a little uncomfortable with making himself the story which I enjoyed because Yeah. You know, that's not uh, if he was a little too gleeful about all this, then you'd feel like he was full of crap. But this seemed like a 25 minutes of this happened. And I feel like I have to tell you about it because of what it was. Yeah, because people are going to wonder. He he also, I think, graded people a little bit the wrong way, but kept talking about it. And I'm sure the media will say that I took horse deworm. Eh. I think the media has moved on from that. I don't think anyone gives a shit what Tim Pool took. Yeah, after Rogan, nobody's going to be like, yeah, oh, and I mean, now Tim like, Pool. Yeah, it's like, okay, first of all, Rogan's got a much more recognizable name, been around much longer. Uh, he may be on the, the downward spiral at this point. Maybe he's not, but he certainly may be Rogan I'm talking about. But right. Tim Pool is very much in the up spiral, and he has a long way to go until he even gets to Rogan's level of notoriety. So, you know, uh, even further until he gets rush. I just, I, I feel like he's on the right trajectory. That's all. Yeah, he is a voice of a generation. I will give him that. Yeah. People are listening. People are paying attention. That's always a good thing. And, and his, his entourage of not guests, but the regulars on his show, like Luke, uh, I forget his last name, the Polish guy, uh, Ian, I forget his last name, the idiot. Um, he is the idiot is that what he goes he by the idiot yeah that's why i go by we him. can have he, a polish guy on the show we just gotta call csb up oh well but that polish guy doesn't have a voice unfortunately <laughs> oh yeah that is that is that's bad for problem podcasting <laughs> kind of need a voice to be on a podcast yeah oh, well that's true uh but speaking of uh non-american dudes you want to talk about putin yes vladimir yeah, putin I, and i yeah. normally when when you send me videos I'm usually just like, oh, Jesus, Gene's sending me more videos. I don't have time. It's usually Tim Pool, to be fair. So when I saw this was Vladimir and your uh, tag on this was, hey, he sounds like O'Reilly. I'm like, okay, I'm interested. What did what did Vladdy say? And I watched the 10 minutes and had to read along because I don't speak Russian. And I was going to ask, you know, is the is the translation accurate? You'll know that. Oh, yeah. I think it was written in English originally and then translated back to Russian for him. Oh, interesting. But I thought I'm, this was I'm 10 minutes about that. Obviously, if if Vladimir Putin was an American politician who gave that speech, I'd be like, this guy like this guy. I'd vote for yep. him. That's <clears throat> I literally I sent the clip to Adam and I said, um, if this guy ran in the U.S. on the GOP ticket, he would get elected in, in a heartbeat. And he made so many good points that Russia has been through this cancel culture it happened before the internet but they've been through this yeah a hundred years ago literally when the when the communists came in they absolutely instituted cancel culture the same thing happened to china incidentally shortly thereafter and it was called the uh cultural revolution uh it's it's a relabeling rebranding and redefining of terminologies to ensure that everything aligns with the dominant culture or the dominant political culture 
And by dominant, I don't mean the major majority culture. I mean, the people that are in charge, the ones that are dominating the political scene, their culture is the one that is that they bring the whole country to be aligned with. Right. So he made very good points about that. He, he called out specifically things like reverse racism to where in order to be perceived as being non-racist, you have to engage in racist activities. Right. Well, this is uh, it now. And I mean, there are people that are not racist in the least that are noticing things like, you know, I'm sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden it's like 90 percent plus of the actors and actresses on commercials are black all of a sudden mm-hmm. it's well, a, well, that's just because you're a racist right of course that's it yes, it's for a, noticing that it's an overcorrection. You're, you're exhibiting racist behavior because if they're systemic racist behavior i might add yes and that o'reilly talked about that yesterday that he's tired and he think this is exactly what happened in virginia and we can talk about that too was that the overall average Joe was tired of all of this stuff that you're a systemically racist person. And this is a systemically racist country. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll teach your kids whatever we want to. That was finally one step too far. Yeah. And Vladimir hit on all this and his style as we were talking about, I believe before we started the recording today was, uh, He's not very vehement. He's not a uh, not a Hitler type. Not loud. He's not shouty like me. No, he's he's basically a businessman. I mean, that's the thing is, if, yes. if somebody doesn't just see a photo of Putin with some translations below it, but you actually listen to him speaking, he sounds a lot more like a business guy that just found out about some problem in you know constructing a new building or something. And he's like, all right, well, what do you guys think? What What's the most expedious way for us to move forward and fix the problem? Yes, he's a slightly like, bored CEO giving a yeah, presentation. He, he is a boring kind of guy. He doesn't get particularly animated. He gets he likes sports. He plays hockey all, every week. He, he gets animated for stuff like that. But from a political standpoint, uh, he would, you know, he would probably win an election based on the content of what he's saying, but he, he would absolutely be clobbered by almost every American politician in the department of just the way that they portray themselves as their leadership material. He doesn't come across as a leader, not, not in a bad sense, but he comes across as like a regular guy. Yes. Um, so I, I'm just going to click a little bit of it because I realize most of our audience does not speak Russian, but just so you have a sense of that. So what he just said is uh, the things that are currently happening in the Western world with these these protests and, and this cultural revolution are really not of our business as Russia. Right. And there he's saying is uh, in in these Western countries, uh, the the re- protests that are calling for this reverse discrimination against <clears throat> against the majority in the interests of the minority and demand that they give up traditional notions of things like mother, father, family, or even gender. 
And you probably heard mama and papa in there. Right. He said that. But that's the thing is like, he's not, he's not an orator, which a lot of politicians in the U.S. are certainly guys like Hitler were a lot of communist party guys were great orators. They, they get the juices flowing by being very emotional in their speech. He's never been that guy. You know, you got to remember, he's basically a, uh, he was running the Berlin station for the KGB. He's the, he was the, the administrator of the, the Russian secret service in the Berlin bureau. So he's a really good administrator. He's efficient. He's a COO. He's not a CEO, right? But he got into the right position to be able to run the, the business of the country of Russia. And I think this is where his connection with Trump uh, really made sense, that they connected on a very different level than he can connect to any other politician, because Trump, first and foremost, was a businessman. And he, he knew how to run businesses, and some people would say not horribly successfully, but let's not forget Trump's still a multi-multi-millionaire. Yeah, and the uh, other thing they have in common is you run your country the way you want to, and I'll run my country the way I want to. Well, beyond that, I mean, like he has praised the U.S. in a lot of his speeches, which you'll never find in mainstream media, in talking about, uh, you know, how the the U.S. Uh, well, first of all, how U.S. helped the Soviet Union collapse, because like every Russian these days, they look back uh, on the Soviet Union as as something very negative. Because let's be realistic here 10 million russians were killed by the russian government as part of the uh soviet structure over the course of uh russia being uh you know the soviet union rather than what it is today right. so communist russia is very different from modern capitalist russia and communist russia was something that pretty much all modern russians see very negatively. I would imagine in the way that most Germans see the Third Reich and the control of the country by Hitler right. as a negative thing. Well, it's like the people that leave Cuba and come here. It's like they love their home country, but the right. way it's being run, not so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Cubans historically have been one of the, uh, you know, Latino type people that come to the U.S. and become Republicans instead of Democrats. Because the Democrats were always wanting the U.S. to be more like Cuba. Right. And they came from Cuba and it's like, hell no. We've seen it. We know yeah. it's not good. This is not what you want to be striving for. And the same thing with Putin. And that's why in what you described in, in his later in that conversation, he talked about how, you know, we've gone through this. This is part of our history books. We know what that change in culture by the minority who's in power and then starts to change the meanings of words, change what you're allowed to say and eventually what you're allowed to think, what that leads to. And it led to 10 million Russians being uh, led to their death for nothing more than saying the wrong thing or thinking the wrong thing. You know, there's a lot of people that were extremely intelligent and professional that ended up uh, serving time in these gulags and gulags are essentially prisons. Uh, gulag is actually an acronym in Russian for the uh, government administrative 
department of prisons or something to that effect. It's like, uh, you know, uh, the first letter of each of those words right. up in Russian. So a gulag isn't a physical place. A gulag is the system that runs all the prisons in the country that originally were created by Lenin uh, in the uh, 1920s to house actual enemies of the state, as it were, people that were fighting against the Soviet Union in its creation, but quickly adapted by Stalin to simply be where he sent political prisoners, people that publicly would disagree with the, with him or his policies in the way that Russia was run, quickly found themselves serving time in the gulag. Yeah, which and is they why. Were, and they were labor camps. So they, unlike, you know, here where prison is like a, you know, it's a vacation spot. There, it was hard labor. Uh, it was uh, typically either mining uranium or other rare materials that regular people would not want to work doing that job. No, but I mean, Putin, he also doesn't have to yell and scream because I think if he, uh, you know, looks at you and just and touches his nose in the right way, you disappear and you're never heard from or seen from ever again. Yeah, kind of like Hillary, I guess. Right? Yeah, it's kind of that same concept. Yeah. But he went yeah. into the whole thing about how the world is in this phase that, you know, the build back better for lack mm-hmm. of a, a better term to describe it. And his push was the way to go with this is the traditional conservative way, because it has been proven to be stable and to be long term viable where the stuff that they're pushing for in the U.S. and in other places now with all this woke culture, where it's been tried before, it's gone pretty poorly, pretty quickly. And this is why we need to teach history. And this is exactly why the way history is being taught has is being changed. Absolutely. It it makes sense. And I mean, that's the other irony is that uh, Putin would totally fit right in with the GOP because uh, he also, while Russia also has a official separation of church and state, but he quite often in his speeches talks uh, about uh, faith and Christianity and, you know, belief in God. And uh, that is something that I think American uh, people are not used to hearing from politicians. Well, yeah, not to even go further and really down that rabbit hole, but do you think most Americans understand what the separation of church and state actually is and means? I don't I don't think people have a clue that it isn't banning talking people, people talking about religion. Rather, it isn't banning them from being religious. It isn't banning your president. I mean, obviously, we have a Roman Catholic president now, even though he may be a really bad Catholic. The whole concept behind the separation of church and state was very simply one thing. You will never be forced to be a particular religion or any religion. That's it. It never said that you can't say a prayer in public school. The, and the matter of fact is the first Bibles printed in the United States were printed by the U S Congress. This is uh, a fallacy that has grown over the years that this concept of the separation of church and state means that the two shall never meet. And that was never what was intended. 
Yeah, it was really a backlash against the Church of England, about, against the fact that England, which is where most of the uh, founding fathers came from, uh, had a state religion. And so if you didn't practice the state religion, you absolutely were a second-class citizen, as uh, was the case with many Jews living in England uh, 250 years ago, uh, with other religions as well, even Catholics in England were seen as a second-class citizen. And so for this country, they wanted to ensure that there would be no official central state religion and that the plurality of religions, or atheism in the case of guys like Jefferson, uh, could all participate in government and in civil life without fear of any repercussions. Makes sense. It's not radical. No, and it, it like you said, it doesn't say that there shall be no religion. It just simply says that uh, there should be no state official religion, and then people are free to decide for themselves what religion they would be. Now, in Soviet Russia, there was an actual ban on state religion because, of course, of the famous saying that religion is the opiate of the people, and it was uh, quite the uphill battle for the communists to uh, to eradicate all religion from society, um, they still left, you know, some churches and, and famous uh, religious uh, places as museums, as sort of, this is the barbarian stuff that we came from and now know better. But one thing that was actually kind of a shock for me was how quickly Russia returned back to religion as a society after the collapse of the Soviet Union. There had literally been 80 years where religion was seen as something that only uh, uncivilized tribes in Africa practice, right? So it was something that... Was it or was it just being done underground and... Well, it it really wasn't. It's not like there was a bunch of underground churches or anything like that. It was it was something that was really converted to superstition. It, it was on the same level as superstition. Whether you know, like believing in any kind of god uh, was seen as a something that your grandma used to do as a, a kind of a silly primitive type belief. Right. We've and, moved on. Yeah, but th- exactly. It's like we're post religion now, and then. Uh, shortly after the fall of communism, I want to say certainly within the first decade, it may have actually been the first five years, not only did all these old churches start opening up again, but there was this renowned, or not renowned, this was rejuvenated, renewed interest in religion in the Russian people. And so a huge swath of people that were born and grew up atheists had this desire to be uh, religious. And, and, and for most Russians, that means the um, Eastern Orthodox Church. But, you know, talking to people that went to Russia, and I've known a few on missions for a variety of churches, for Seventh-day Adventists, for uh, uh, Mormons, like, They've never been any other place where people are as receptive and interested in what they had to say as they have been in Russia. Like, there's very little 
selling of the religion necessary to be done because the audience was asking for it. Yeah, they want the product. They totally want the product. Uh, and, and so this is a Russia went through an 80 year experiment with communism and that experiment, uh, has had plenty written about it. If you want to kind of look at it through the lens of case studies. And we now have this tremendous 80 year long, uh, example of what happens when you start changing how society operates and controlling uh, morality of people simply at the whim of the uh, leadership and not through a natural law derived morality, which certainly includes uh, uh, all the old religions as well. Right. Cause for so, that 80 years, it's not like religion on its own disappeared. People were told it's bad. You can't do it. So that's, Really interesting then when that is then pulled back. Yeah. Because it's like any kid. If your parents tell you not to do something when you're a teenager, what do you want to do? You want to do that. Exactly. Exactly. And then the the closest example, just so people can kind of get a better feel for it. So do you think the best way to make a society religious is to pull religion away for a period of time first? Yeah, I think it'll definitely swing the pendulum in the opposite direction. Uh, It's you're, you're absolutely going to do that. And that's why I think what's happening right now is by swinging society away from conservatism towards uh, communism, which is what's very much been happening for the last few years, I think is going to result in the bigger shift of people seeing themselves as being more conservative than they would have called themselves two, three, four, five years ago. Seeing a backlash because what's going on yeah. is not working. You know, it really was very strange in watching that Putin clip when he starts quoting Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, it was right. really culture I clash. It was great. Yeah. It was hilarious where he's talking about the incongruity between what Martin Luther King was saying about wanting to see his four children living in peace and harmony with uh, children of other races and not seeing each other as, as being of a particular color, effectively yes. being colorblind. Yes. I'm paraphrasing, but that is the essence of what Martin Luther King was saying back in the 60s. And now, 60 years later, it's we're all about seeing color. the exact opposite of that yeah. being pushed forward by the very people that used to be promoting Martin Luther King. Right, because you know, what they found out was equality sucks because then you got to work that's well that's i mean that's a oversimplification yes i think what what they found out was if you truly achieve the quality they lose their power base right because you're not being kowtowed to it's kind of like if there's no need for unions then what the hell do you have to give money to a union for it's all these organizations that were built to address some grievance when that grievance disappears the need for that organization should also disappear and the organizations don't want to die. And so they want to prolong the need for themselves. And the way you prolong the need is by dressing up as white supremacists yes. oh my and going God. to the rally of a Republican Who pretending won? to be white supremacists. Right. That was a last ditch effort. 
That well, was a last ditch effort. It, but again, if you look at it from their prism, if you look at it from this just proved that Americans are mostly white supremacists. Right. Because they voted for a guy who literally had white supremacists at his rally and he won. And that proves that America is systemically racist. Right. Let's not mention the fact that it was the other side that sent those people. <laughs> of course. Well, they're, they're not going to mention that. But it, it also, if you do mention it, they will just dismiss it and say, well, that part's irrelevant. It's like whether somebody was a murderer or whether somebody was pretending to be a murderer. And if that murderer gets elected, clearly people don't give a shit that they elected a murderer. Well, this is where politics really took the turn for me. Maybe it happened before and I just didn't notice, but it was when Barack Obama became president. And all of a sudden, if you disagreed with his policies, I mean, if you disagreed with George Bush's policies, you just disagreed with the guy's policies. Now, if you disagreed with anything that Barack Obama said, you were a racist mm. and they start playing that game, which was, well, obviously people are cause they're racists. You know, it's like, that's why they're against them. It's like, uh, the, he got what? 70 something percent of the vote, but it's a racist country now because they well, don't, he got less vote than Trump did on the last election. Yeah. But more people voted. So, I mean, by, you know, the, the history will go back on that. He got a vast majority of the votes. It was like 70 something percent. He got all the white women who just wanted to, fuck a black guy well there was a lot of people that's not just that i mean maybe there was some but there was a lot of people you're, that you're wanted just to underestimating prove. the number of white women that want to fuck a black guy. right i'm not that's not my viewpoint so i can't really speak to that i mean maybe you identify more as a white woman who wants to be with barack i don't or know maybe I identify as a black guy maybe i don't know it doesn't matter to me but it all comes down to this was the vote i think with obama that people were ready to prove to the world that the United States of America was not a systemically racist country. And what ended up happening by electing the black guy was you became a much more racist country. It's really weird how that happened. It is really weird how it, it's almost like it's they didn't want expected. him to win. I really think it's to be expected because it, as soon as you start trying to appease the criminal, you're doing nothing but encouraging them. This this is what happens when you give in to uh, children takers, right? Or children who are typically acting the same way. Children are are naturally very uh, understanding of human nature, and so they they tend to figure out how to maneuver their actions to exploit their parents. Yes, and that is exactly what this whole society is doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And this is also why I am still extremely pessimistic about the midterm elections. I think a lot of people saw this little special election in Virginia happen and have a positive result for the Republicans. Like, well, clearly there's a huge red wave brewing and there's all this discontent with the way that the Democrats are running things. And there is. then there may be very well be, but I still think that that is in the minority of the people. I think that what you saw in this election was the Democrats assuming that they're going to have clear victories by doing nothing. You had Democrats effectively do what the Republicans did in Georgia. They didn't uh, do nothing. On the last election. I mean, they sent Biden. They sent Harris. They sent Obama. They pulled out all the stops yeah, to get this, this guy is votes. All fairly minor stuff. What they didn't do, which they did in the last election, and they will absolutely do in the midterms, 
is ballot stuffing. Well, right. They That's one thing we've learned is that there was a lot of that going on. Trying to stuff the ballots and because they really didn't think they would need to. But now the negative result of what happened in Virginia is if you think that the midterms are going to be a fair election, yeah, then you're smoking something good. Well, and I don't know how far into the counting process I saw these numbers for, but the early vote in that election in Virginia, yep. if it was mail-in, it was like 80% for the Democrat. Yep. So you got to ask yourself, do Republicans just not like the convenience of mail-in or is somebody cheating? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be a little bit of both, but I don't think it's just no Republicans ever mail anything in and all the Democrats do. I think it's that there are some Democrats, let's not use an overly broad brush, there are some Democrats that are fully willing to do, quote, whatever it takes, unquote, in order to win the elections. And if that means getting a list of all the people who voted in the past, which is easy enough to do, you can buy that list, and then filling out those ballots on behalf of all those same people, and then sending them in as though they were filled out by those people. Because most places, that never gets caught. Right. And and we have stories, uh, individual stories, examples of people who couldn't vote in the last full election because when they got to the voting place, their name had already been checked off as having voted through an absentee ballot. And right. so their vote had to be put on a, what do they call it, provisional ballot. Right. Once this matter was investigated. And it wasn't in this election, but that happened to our buddy, Larry Blydner. Same thing. He went in and they're like, no, you already voted. He's like, did not. Yeah. Well, and what would you think that provisional votes ever going to get counted? Of course not. No. And then you wonder work, you know, you wonder why, how that happened. It's like, well, fraud. That's how, because yeah, it's totally fraud. Because you don't look at IDs. So, you know, we don't give uh, voting advice on this show. But what the Democrats do, and I've heard this literally from friends, like Democrat friends, this is very common, and they laugh about it, is they will all vote using absentee ballots and then all show up to the polls to vote second time as well. And the vast majority of the polling places don't have a record that they voted as absentee. Well, and, and so this what is you, further what you end up happening is just simply a duplication of votes. So this is where I'm maybe different, different this theory from what uh, some of the uh, uh, you know crazy far right theorists out there have been saying which is this is all like a centralized uh, effort and whatnot right with the machines and all that uh, yeah I think it's only centralized in the degree that this narrative is being propagated to the Democrats that there's nothing morally wrong with voting twice and it's hard to track this, especially now that they're like, you well, the mail-in. No, you know, Gene, the mail-in, you could take him a week after the election, don't you know? Yeah. Or a month. Yeah. So how do you know? A month. How do you yeah. know whether the person voted or not? There's no way to tell. And and really, if they got, if you're in a state where the envelope is tracked with a, a number, and then, you know, once they get your vote coming in the mail, and then they mark you as you've already voted on the sheets, presumably. And if you show up to vote a second time, they'll catch it and put you on the provisional ballot. 
But that represents a tiny number of states and probably uh, of those states, even a smaller number of counties that actually enforce that policy. Because it's, you imagine the amount of work that it would take to track every American's status for mail-in voting accurately prior to the election day so that when they do show up, that they, they would know whether or not, or that the administrators would know whether or not they were voted uh, through absentee ballots. This that is why you get rid of the absentee ballots, right, and the mail-in ballots. Yeah, I've said for a long time, what we ought to be doing is voting with our social security number. Voting on the blockchain, baby. The, 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 and that's fine, too. That may come. But uh, you need to have a vote tied to a unique identifier. Right, that you can't have and multiple And the only votes. identifier that we have that is both unique and not afforded to illegals. Well, no, a lot of illegals use social people's security social security numbers illegally. That's uh, They do. They do. I, I've actually run into that myself, um, where I... I found out something, somebody was using my social security number for something. Nice. The other um, thing that they're doing that's perfectly legal is what they call ballot harvesting. And this is the thing that Mark Zuckerberg gave about a half a million dollars for the last yeah. election cycle. Well, it's legal in some places, right? Not legal everywhere. Yeah. But where but it is like, legal, they can go door to door and be like, oh, have you, have you filled out your ballot yet? Let us help. Yeah. Here, we've got one that's pre-filled out. All you got to do is just sign. It's even more convenient. Yeah, absolutely. So in some states, like Washington State, for example, uh, where uh, your buddy Bemrose lives, in that state, everybody has to vote by mail. There is no showing up to the polls. Because they don't want to see those people. Well, it's a liberal state. So I think that they can control who gets elected by mandating that the elections are done through the mail. It's much easier to control that when versus having expectations of you know last minute tallying of votes coming in from uh, actual voter locations it does seem to make it much easier yeah and then the other cheat. thing that i've i've like this was on i think the first podcast that i did for sir gene speaks i talked about this idea that the the one thing the democrats have done very well over the last 15 years is encourage democrats and p- particularly young democrats although you know grandmothers too to volunteer to work for either paid or unpaid position uh in the in your local voting uh precincts right and we did we talked to dc girl and uh, sir william one another two uh, mm-hmm. folks from the no agenda community who did work the polls and with some interesting stories. We'll have to have DC girl on because mm-hmm. she, she knows the ins and outs of all this stuff. And the stuff that goes on is just absolutely insane. There's we've there were a bunch of good stories of what happens on the day where people show up because there are people, like you said, show up. Well, you know, you've already voted and then they, yeah. they can have some very uh, interesting reactions to that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And they can, you know, they can mark somebody as having already come in that day and voted and then prevent them from voting, even though they never came in that day. Drive through voting where they have to bring the ballot out to you. I think there has to be like a fingerprint, which is what they do in a lot of third world African countries. That's why you see the, the blue fingers being held up as a proof of voting is that your vote is accompanied by your thumbprint. And so you can actually investigate later and, and determine whether the right person voted or not. 
uh, it's a unique identifier. Now we can use social security numbers for that. There's a number of different things we can do. Uh, blockchain, regardless of what method of voting you use, would be a more secure way to ensure that you've got um, one vote, one person record. Well, it, I don't know if it really makes it any easier to do that. I mean, if somebody votes before you illegitimately, then their vote gets recorded, not yours. Right. With your really identifier, fix, right? Yeah, with your identifier. It doesn't really fix the situation until you provide a unique identifier that you're going to utilize. Uh, and uh, it has to be something that is unique to you. And at the same time, uh, you can you can determine if it was done on your behalf and not by you. Like it has to be that unique. So I don't know. It's a complicated issue. Um, I think a poll tax would probably work pretty well. I've always been in favor of that. I think that makes a lot of sense is that if you want to vote, it's going to cost you money. Uh, I don't think that's the right solution. But, oh, I uh, think it's one of the solutions because I think it, what what happens is, the reason that a lot of these Democrats do this stuff is because there's no consequence. There's no cost factor involved. If it costs you 500 bucks to cast your vote and you really cared about the vote, you'd cast the vote and pay the 500. They want to give away a half a million dollars a piece to illegals. They'd be paying people left and right to vote. They, well, they'd have to pay people that are willing to go and do that, but they can do that right now. They can, they can, it's a fine line. It is illegal. To have somebody vote with you telling him who to vote for like that, that's against the law in, in, I think just about every state, but it's not illegal for somebody to simply say, go out and vote. We'll help you get there. We'll drive you there and we'll pay you a hundred dollars. If you go vote, that's not illegal in, in that I'm aware of, at least in any state, we're not providing legal advice. So I would hope not. Uh, because that's they do use that a lot and this idea of a a big bus that is filled with democrat volunteers coming up to nursing home and saying right right we're not only going to drive you there to make it convenient we'll even buy you dinner but in the form of a 15 dollar you know voucher or check on the way back as long as you vote correctly but they so they don't even have to say that all they have to do is just all be wearing the same pins they all have to just have a you know, almost a subliminal message in there is what they can't do is say, if you vote for our guy, but they don't have to. That's the beauty of it. Because because they know the system. If you don't know, like put yourself in the shoes of the, the senior citizen, you don't know who the hell's running. Like all you know is like, you barely know what's going to be for lunch tomorrow. Uh, Mac and cheese. Your, your brain is working at a reduced capacity like Joe no Biden. fault of your own, simply because you're as old as Joe Biden. Exactly. Right. And so if somebody offers to do something which seems like they're doing you a favor, well, that's nice. You know, have then wh- who are you going to vote for? The only name you remember is the one that's on the pin that everybody's wearing on the button, you know, that everybody's wearing is like, vote for Joe. Well, that's just where the hey, insanity is driving to. you here. You all can go vote for whoever you want. We're just the friendly people from Joe that drove you here. Well, this is where the insanities come down, because now it's like, well, if you actually are forcing people to go vote, that's racist because black people, they work during the day and they can't go and vote. It's, I mean, they're using every last. Well, I agree with that. I think uh, here's I've always said fewer people should be voting. I, I've always considered <laughs> this is the, one of the biggest problems in this country. Too many people voting. Too many people are allowed to vote. 
if you restrict them the who is allowed to vote to only those people where it actually has the greatest impact, uh, which would be landowners, for example. Which was originally what it took to vote. In not just in this country, in most countries, you did not have a vote unless you were a landowner. It's it's a fairly new thing to be able to vote without being a landowner. Well, yeah, you had to have skin in the game. You couldn't just yeah. be a vagrant. Exactly. If you're if you're a transient migrant illegal, they don't want you, you to vote. Probably should not be voting. In yeah. California, you can though. That's why you go to California. Of course. Of course. And the the way they work around that, and somebody I can't remember who pointed out whether it was on No Agenda or some other show, but it's a very good point is that. California still can't submit votes from illegals for the president for federal office. Right, but you can for local. But you can for local. And and where that makes a difference You is, get to register. Well, but beyond that, um where it makes a difference is that the representation within Congress is based on on what? On the number of people. Right that are registered to vote and the more you have the more seats you get yep and so california can get an extra few seats through illegals who can't vote in federal elections but they get more seats at the table in the uh, house of representatives oh yeah exactly now this could backfire on california if enough people leave california and then some conservatives decide, hey, California is actually really nice weather and right. nice land. Let's all move there. Conservatives invade. This could totally backfire in California because they will have created a bunch of seats that they won't be actually getting votes for. They but would deserve right, it. They Well, they sure would. But right now, their plan is pretty obvious. It's like we bolster our own ranks. We make the state look like it's bigger than it actually is. And that gives us more seats in Congress, which means knowing that we're always going to be Democrat, we're going to ensure a bigger Democrat majority, even if the people that are uh, going to be elected can't be voted on by the same illegals that we originally allowed to vote for local offices. Right. And now, you know, both of these countries fairly well. What country is more free right now, Russia or the United States? Uh, It depends on what you want to do. If you want to. If you want to, you know, put on, let's say you're a guy, you want to put on women's clothes and go into women's bathrooms. You're probably freer in the United States. In Russia, uh, you might get beat up or killed. I'm if, guessing if if you're you're not going to get beat up or killed, but you will be taken to a police station. Yeah. Um, but if you're, let's say, starting a new business, you're absolutely freer in Russia. So we should uh, be incorporating in Russia. Do you know what the tax rate is for a, a small business in Russia? No. You want to take a guess? 1%. 4%. That's pretty reasonable. 4%. That's it. Not There isn't any other tax. In the U.S., you're going to pay corporate tax. You're going to pay individual tax. Any profits you're going to get off of that. And then, of course, we still have sales tax. We have, uh, you know, tax on, um, well, all kinds of taxes. Inheritance tax. We have. A lot of overlapping taxes in the United States. Why is there no flood of people going to Russia to go into business? Or is there? Well, I'm just missing there, it. there is no flood, but there are surprisingly Americans moving to Russia. And I, I watched a couple of videos of those people recently. I think I cross posted one to uh, No Agenda Social as well. 
and then I'll, I'll stick that on our locals as well. Uh, it, cause it's an interesting to hear what they have to say. Like, you know, and I think for most of them, it has to do with, you know, they got hitched and, uh, yeah. uh their partner, they were willing to move to where their, their new bride is. Yeah. Russian of, uh, women can be very hot. Can be. <laughs> I mean, not all. They, they but quite much. F- most. Yeah. Most of them are really hot. Uh, there's a, a wide variety of looks that, that are popular in Russia. But the one thing that pretty much all Russian girls do is they have a culture of making themselves look nice for any occasion where American women think that it's got to be a major event to do something beyond uh, wearing sweatpants and no makeup. And uh, in Russia, uh, a woman would not be seen uh, ever going to the grocery store to shop for food without having great makeup on, wearing high heels and a nice dress. So let's go to Russia. It's just not going to happen. Well, it, you know, if if this country allows it, it, it sure seems like there's more and more bands all the time. Uh, they Right now, there is only one U.S. embassy left in Russia, and I think only three Russian embassies left in the U.S. Uh, everybody's uh, been decommissioning embassies. We're almost to the point where we have to go through an intermediary third party from the United States just to have any kind of dealings with Russia. The animosity that the Democrats have created has been insane. Well, they've been trying to lay down that whole Trump colluded thing for yeah. uh, for years. And, you know, even though that backfired on them, they're still sticking with it, just like they're sticking with CRT. No, that's not real. We're not teaching that, but we're teaching that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, once they dig in, they don't change their tune at all. It's uh, it's pretty much going to be that way forever. And. It's always going to be, oh, it's the Russian hackers that hacked the Olympics. It's the only reason that Trump ever won in the first place. Right. It's never the Chinese or North Korean hackers. It's really amazing. Well, no, it's because they're our friends. Right. See. Right. Yeah, sure. That's, in uh, fact, Biden was just talking about how China is entering a new growth phase and they're becoming one of the dominant players in the world. What he ought to be saying is the dominant player in the world. Right. With supersonic nuclear weapons. Yeah. That America has no response to because the military that we've now managed to have is also mostly politically correct and cares more about doing uh, gender sensitivity training in the military than actually bothering to watch what kind of weaponry China is putting out. Yeah, that's not really good for your defense, but this is the America that we're in. The uh, was a Kyle Bush NASCAR racer. Dared to say somebody was a retard or said retarded, and they're sending them to sensitivity training. It's like, really? This is because you said a word. Now you have to go to sensitivity training because you said a word. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's not freedom of speech. That's gone. That is gone. Oh, absolutely. And and this, again, this is why there's such a huge parallel between the Russia uh right around the time, maybe a little before, maybe a little bit after the Russian revolution and hundred years ago. And today in the United States, because all these same things were instituted under the guise progress quality and and in Russia. Yeah. Uh, this is where terms like comrade came from, because this is the, the new politically correct term for what used to be 
sir or madam. Now it was just comrade. Right. Blanket. Because, because when you say sir or madam, you're implying some kind of a hierarchical relationship. And everybody knows that communism's goal is to have a completely flat society with no hierarchy. Except for, of course, the guys that are leading it. Because, you know, some people are more equal than others. And so, consequently, you had perfectly f- normal words that were used for, you know, millennia. Uh, all of a sudden, you mean like man as, and woman, <laughs> like man and woman. Yeah, yeah. Be deemed as, and that's, I think it happened in China, even with more ferocity where, uh, you know, there, I don't know the Chinese, uh, word for common for comrade, but it, whatever their equivalent term for that is, um, they, they went so far as to even in mandate that men and women dressed alike to not show any kind of disparity between the sexes. That's what we're going for here, I guess. This is what was happening in the communist, in the cultural revolution in China. Uh, you know, where basically they, they destroyed or, or covered up, uh, all the, the great Chinese, uh, historical, uh, not just religious, but just, you know, cultural. Right. Anything stuff. historical, right? Yeah. It, it's like they wanted to just wipe the slate clean. Only now exists. It's, it's 6,000 years of Chinese history was being swept under the rug to really start the history of China in the 1930s. Right. Which is why it's so much easier here in the United States because our history really only goes back to the 1600s. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the irony is that it, it, the other thing, it's, I think, hard. It's not irony, but it's hard for Americans that grew up here to understand just how new this country and this idea of individual liberty is. Uh, there were, there are lots of cities in Russia and in Europe um, that literally go back a thousand years, you know, four times further back than the constitution of the United States. Right. That's how long these cities have been around. So it's, it's, you, once you start putting in perspective, it's like, you know, there, there have been more changes in the governments of the cities, but the cities have stuck around for many, many years. And looking at the United States, I think from an outside perspective, it certainly seems like, well, you guys tried capitalism for 200 years. Now you're trying communism probably for the next hundred years or so. I mean, you're going to go through all this shit. You're going to, you're going to go and try a bunch of different things. And eventually you'll end up someplace where the rest of the world's ended up. Right. Well, the people that hate this country, I think a lot of it is because it went from an idea to a superpower in the blink of an eye by the standards of how long the world has been around. It was mostly the result of World War II. Because the U.S. really was isolationist for a majority of its lifespan. Yeah, until December 11th. We, we, we kind of liked being isolationist because uh, the, we were trying to get away from Europe. And the last place that Europe stuck its nose was uh, during the War of Northern Aggression. So, you know, being we're in our own hemisphere, we're doing our own thing. You guys stay out. And we don't give a shit what you do in yours. That was the prevailing attitude. And uh, then Japan came along. Yeah. I mean, Japan definitely sucked us in big time. But, and certainly not to say that American 
companies haven't been involved in wars. I think most American companies, one of the most famous being IBM, of course, which was developing the, the equipment to catalog Jews like cattle. Um, American companies were involved, but America as a country tended to have a very, this is not our business. We're, we're not going to spend any cycles on this kind of attitude. You know, I'm going to say what I always say, which is weather underground. And you go back for the last 50 years or so. The concept has been clear. The plan has been clear since then. We need to divide and conquer black and white, rich and poor, left and right, whatever it is, all divide and conquer. And that is exactly what's going on, because how else do you take down the most powerful country in the world? You do it from the inside by causing division. It's, it's well, not a hard concept. Irony, well, absolutely. It's not a new concept. It's been around forever. In fact, the irony is that what you just said literally comes from a, uh, you know, two and a half thousand year old book written by Sun Tzu. Right. A Chinese book, which was. Do they uh, teach that in school, though? Which was burned as part of the cultural revolution in China. You know, all these, all these great historical works of Chinese culture that were destroyed and thankfully with some copies preserved that they could be resurrected in time. But this is, yeah, I like, I think we're already seeing Huck Finn be the equivalent of that. I, I think in California, that book is completely banned amongst other books as well. They're dangerous. Like Catcher in the Rye. Words are dangerous. Words are murder. Did right. you not know that? Words are violence. That's words uh, literally kill you. Sticks wait, I don't think you know what literally may, means. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will literally kill you. <laughs> is, that, is that what they're teaching kids in school? Well, is now? that not what you learned? I thought that's what we all learned. I thought Wasn't it was a little that? different than that. I'm remembering, but well, it could, from the Department of Revisionist History, I'm pretty sure that's what we learned. Yeah, or it's the Mandela effect. I'm not really sure. I thought it was different. I thought it was sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt me. Is that, is that not the way it was? Was it different? Maybe. Yeah. You're, you're, you're clearly being influenced by the, uh, yes. Mind control. Yeah. <clears throat> but I like Putin's I like Putin's racism. speech. Systemic racism. I well, thought, I'm, I thought he was bad. I thought he was a bad guy. I probably still is, but what he said there made a lot of sense. That's the thing is it that, that American media, if they were to even cover this, which they, they're not, none of them are covering this, uh, Putin's speech, I mean. Well, because the media is at the forefront and the pushing of the woke. Yeah, absolutely. But if they did, they would have to spin it as just Russian propaganda meant to neg negatively influence the, the 2021-22 election of the United States. Yeah. yeah. It's just more meddling. It's like, it, just because they say it's not our business what the West does. It's just that they're making mistakes that we made a hundred years ago. That doesn't actually mean they don't care what the West does. It means they're trying to push this agenda and this new message on the West. Because now they're telling you, you know, if you even question the legality and the correctness of an election here in the United States, you know, that's, that's insurrection. Right. But For a country that is not, only been monitoring elections all over the world, but interfering with and installing governments 
all over the world. Yeah. And O'Reilly had a super clip, though. It's insane. Yeah. He had the super clip with Hillary and others saying, well, Trump wasn't really elected. It was all stolen. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, but but, but now uh, the media is just so horrible, really, which is why you're listening to our show, Unrelenting. It's probably why you're listening to No Agenda and other shows like that, because the mainstream media is worthless. And that's why you have to support shows like this. We do have a few people to thank for today's show because we do still work on the value for value model as we're tweaking it a little bit with unrelenting to. Well, it's still a value for a value. We're, yes. we're just moving. Well, we're trying to in, entice people to move whatever contributions to locals simply for the fact that that one, we, we can create a centralized hub of extra content that that is available as a way of us thanking those people that help. And you just want to make sure I pay you. So, I mean, there's also that part. Okay. Well, that's the real reason because <laughs> otherwise, you know, when I was just a guest and I was yes. doing no work involved, I didn't make a dime off this thing. So, <clears throat> you know, the slave driver here got to keep all the money, but now that we're going to be on a new platform, you say that be, like there was millions of dollars coming millions in. Millions and millions. That, that's the way I heard it. <laughs> My web hosting. Millions of dollars coming in. I mean, just to give everybody a little example. I mean, to be fair, this is for the next three years. But my web hosting came up and it was 500 and something bucks, which I still think is really fair for hosting all the podcasts that I do overall. I still so don't that's think less that's less than the buck a day. It's, yes. So it's well, well less than that and well yeah. worth it. Uh, but there are costs that are involved with this, and we appreciate the people yeah. that help us out by subscribing, the people that help us out by doing a one-time donation, or just you know trolling along when we do the shows live over in the No Agenda Troll Room, which we just hijack for our own nefarious uses, if you will. And that's at trollroom.io. Yeah, it's too bad I'm permabanned from there, but oh well. But I permabanned you, right? So I should. I'll. You know what? I'll lift that gene. Let me let me wave a magic wand. Woo-hoo. I'm not sure you no. have those rights. <laughs> now you're not permabanned anymore. I don't know, man. I, the way I understand it, I tried getting in there and this morning I couldn't get in. So I'm pretty sure I'm still permabanned. Ooh, somebody else may have permabanned you then. Could be. But coming in with $20 over on Patreon, which is still the Patreon from Grumpy Old Benz, which we may be able to switch that over as well, which there's no extra content going there. It's just if you're in that ecosystem, we set that up. I do the same thing over on Random Thoughts, but our buddy Brian Janak, who's getting ready, I know, for a beautiful Wisconsin winter, has upped it to $20 a month. So that is a big deal, and we appreciate that because it helps us keep those bills paid for the servers and that. And now that you know Gene and I are doing shows regularly, those the, the downloads are going to go up by, what, 100-fold? The bills are going to go up. And they're going to have to keep paying for more hosting. Yeah, I might have to build out a new studio. So they'll definitely be have some expenses. You do love to build out the studio. You had I, one at one point. I did. I've had multiple studios. Yeah. I, you know what? Honestly, I just love that process. If anybody wants to hire me to build a podcasting studio, you'll do it for free. You love it. You I just will, said you love doing it. I will, you know, I'll do my best to do it for as cheap as possible. We'll work I, for I Scott. Really do enjoy the process. It is fun to do that getting all the right gear and, and I'm up to and including like the right stand up table, the right uh, mic stands. Cause there are also crappy versions of all of those things. 
And look, not everybody can have custom made fancy shit the way that Adam has. And his is really cool. <laughs> but at the same I don't time, know. my gear costs more than his. So it's not, uh, it's not all that not fancy. Your table. Well, no, no, not the table. I have thought about getting a uh, stand-up yeah. table. No, and, he's uh, got a gorgeous table. The, the guy that built it did an amazing job. I saw he that also, custom made. He did Rogan's too. And he did Rogan's as well. Yeah. You so can not, tell. Not all of us can get a table like that. You can tell but, before no agenda every now and then you hear the desk rising as, as Adam yeah. gets ready for the show. It's like, it's a whole thing. Exactly. It's like a plane taking off. Yeah. And it's super smooth. It's, it's, uh, it's well, more it's impressive really in nice. person. I'm guessing. I would definitely enjoy a table like that, but I've never had. You don't want to stand? Uh, well, no. In my studio that I built out, I did have a standing table. But, you know, I got rid of it when I got rid of the studio along with most of the other gear. Uh, sold it all off. But no, for, for home, I could just never justify spending the money on a standing table. Because I would use it standing up to do recordings like this. But. For most stuff that I use it for, like doing spreadsheets or playing video games, I would want it sitting down. And uh, when I do the math in my head for the amount of time that I would have the table up versus down, the extra 500 bucks to have the thing moving. You could be buying extra spaceships in your game. Or something. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I could justify buying the next. uh, Oh, did we talk about video games? No, but let me finish. With the folks who came in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else? Uh, who else? Who David, else money? David Hagelin came in with 1111. That is a monthly donation that's been going on for a while, and we appreciate that. Nice. New is our buddy Chutakuki, who is always sending us requests for the No Agenda Rock and Roll pre-show. And he is doing a uh, thing that Truck Driver started out, which was, I'm sending you one donation, and it's across all of your shows, which is appreciated. And he said, 10 bucks. For this unrelenting show, he's been enjoying that as well. Nice, Betty Solero coming in with six ninety six, and she's been around from the Grumpy Old Bens as well, and that's very much appreciated. Often in the troll room when we're doing these things live, and uh, truck driver, the aforementioned truck driver coming in with five bucks for this particular show and five bucks for the other three shows that I do. And his note: This is where your influence again, because he's well aware of what my name is. But his note is. Hey, Daryl, here's here's a split for the four shows. Great shows. Keep them up. So, see, now other people nice. are calling me Daryl. Now, thanks to your uh, renaming me. Well, wait. Rebranding so what, me. What, what What is your name? Darren. Darren O'Neill. Did you know? Uh, Just like Bewitched. Okay. Did you ever watch okay. Bewitched as a kid? You had to because you're probably like. I did. I watched Bewitched. I watched it when I was on TV. See, that's where my parents got the name. They watched way too much Bewitched. They thought, that, really? oh, that's a good name, yes. But there was also two Darrens, just like there's two Darrells. Yeah, and they were both named Dick, so I don't know what that says about anything. Uh, yeah, Dick York and Dick uh, Sergeant. the other guy. Sergeant. Yeah, yeah. and the other guy. Yeah. Yeah, Dick other guy. Other guy is a fit. It's, it's a common British name. The two Dicks who were Darren. It's a new the podcast. <laughs> if they were so both that's where a- your parents got the name uh, Daryl from. That's yeah, awesome. That yeah. is. If now, if they were Bob Newhart fans, it could have been Daryl. Is that been Daryl? My other brother Daryl. Yeah, but Bob that Newhart was was funny. That was a long. Uh, it was long. Oh, he time dead or after. alive? He's still alive. He was. You know, every time we talk about somebody, who I'm thinking, is he still dead or alive? They die the next day. Uh, so, uh, no. Hopefully, Bob Newhart didn't just die. As he's, we're talking about him, he's a funny guy. Like him, our buddy Stevie coming in with five bucks a month. Dennis Woods, five bucks a month. Stephen McConnell, five bucks a month. Those are all still over on Patreon as we get the locals things going. You might want to move over 
to the locals because that'll be where we'll be adding some more content. I mean, we could probably double them up, but uh, that that starts getting to be more work yeah, and it, confusing. It, it, we're and, trying to avoid the manual labor, yes. and not create more manual labor. So certainly, unless we can find non-paid interns, and then for any new subscriptions or people that are currently doing subscriptions and wouldn't mind moving into locals, the the thing we're going to be able to provide on locals is, like I said, is the access to unpublished stuff you won't have anywhere else. So that's our little thank you and reward for the people coming in. And most of the donations you mentioned up to this point would certainly be in that qualification level where they would have full access to uh, to get all the behind the scenes, pre-show, post-show, uh, all the posts to all the content that we're talking about. Uh, all the stuff that's not currently included as part of the podcast would be in locals. And locals does the thing like Patreon where you can, if you want to give a thousand dollars a month, that's fine. They'll, they'll take that from you. Is that. If you want to give a thousand dollars a month, we will make alternative <laughs> arrangements because locals, much like Patreon works on a percentage of money received model. Those bastards. So locals is awesome for people giving us what I would term as reasonable donations. But if you want to be non-reasonable, an unreasonable donation, which is more like what would be considered a normal donation on no agenda these days. Right. Uh, For those people, uh, we'll, we'll come up with a better way of, of you making that donation than locals. And we might even do something extra. One thing I'll just tease this out in the middle of our donation segment because it's related is one of the things we're going to start tracking are donations that are earmarked for a dinner with Daryl and myself live. Are we doing this over zoom or what? No, 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 none of the zoom bullshit. The, the, the goal amount of the total amount of donations will be calculated based on whatever travel is makes the most sense, whether it's for me to fly to Chicago or you, for you to fly down to Austin and then have a nice steak dinner. And everybody who's donated as part of that donation drive, regardless of the amount that they donated, we'll have an invitation to join us for that dinner. And then one of them randomly gets picked to pick up the tab for the. Well, no, they've already (laughs) collectively all picked up the tab. So here's the way it works. So let's say that that cost of the ticket and, 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 you know, the dinner thing is going to be right. 500 bucks. Yeah. Night at Gibson's good stuff. Pulling out of, out of, uh, yeah. As long as you're not having the Dvorak wine. I mean, that, that starts going up then. All it is, all it is, is a, an opportunity to give people a goal to contribute towards, which also allows them to be a participator. That's all we're doing. It's an idea that I, I gave to Adam and John back like nine years ago. And they told you it they was never going to work. It. No, no. They said, oh, we ought to have a night's meetup. We've got about a dozen nights now. That's about how many people they had back then. And uh, not Dukes, mind you, nights. And uh, they said, I, I think I suggested, hey, let's do it in Vegas. That's a fun place for everybody to meet up. And they're like, yeah, let's do it in Vegas. And that was the last that anybody ever heard of it. Like you should never write happened. a strongly worded letter. Suggest again. Well, I, I didn't really need to. I mean, Adam started doing the, uh, the tours, the, the Winnebago drives and, uh, or the Airstream drives across the country. And that kind of became the way to meet them for people that are contributing. But if you do want to support the show, the way to do that is unrelenting.show. All the information is there or unrelenting.locals.com. 
Yeah, and you can get to that to the local site from the Unrelenting the Show site as well. Did we link to that yet? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I'll I double check. Yeah, make sure it's on there because I, I <laughs> thought it was so. I said it is. So you're right. So you, it, it is now so. It is now so. It is now, now been it done. Is. <laughs> <laughs> and we appreciate everybody for also just giving us their time to listen to these shows. There's a lot of choices for entertainment. I mean, some people listen to Tim Pool. Some people hate him, which is why you come here. Because Gene will tell you what Tim Pool's been talking about without you having to listen to Tim Pool. It's win-win. And I watch O'Reilly. So we have the old and the young. Somewhere in the middle, there is us. Which is either good or bad, Gene. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably reasonable. Anything else? What do you got, Gene? And what are the uh, lengths of these so shows? The, we never really only, talked about. Well, the, the uh, length is roughly what it is right now. So the. I think we're going to wrap up in the next few minutes here, but the one thing I guess I just want to throw out there is the video games, which I yes. still am playing. And, and we need uh, some jingle. So one, I'm going to have to get with Fletcher and probably uh, send some money his way to have like a little, uh, you know, jingle for us to go into the yeah, video game Fletcher segment. Donates a jingle. That'd be a better way to do it. Well, he's donated a lot. Well, I'm glad he's of the donating mindset. He has his own podcast, which you should be we listening should, to we, at hogstory.net. We, we could even promote that, that, that when yeah. he donates a jingle. Right. So, uh, no, and to be fair, we, we love uh, his jingles. They, he's done a great job for everybody. So, as far as video games, there's a lot of shit that's come out and still coming out. So, the, the last three that I've been kind of playing are world of warships which i've been playing forever which is just is that from you know, the world of warcraft people or is that no, just somebody no, stealing the, the name that's that different that's world of warships and world of tanks that's the same company uh so that's a it's a multiplayer online thing where you're driving around a, a world war ii era ship and two teams shooting at each other it's pretty fun uh but then the the other two games that came out, one was uh, Far Cry 6, and I'm a big fan of the Far Cry series. Those are always fun. They're a massive, humongous map, totally open environment. That's kind of like um, uh, like Red Dead Redemption or like um, Grand Theft Auto, the same kind of style of big, huge open map, lots of stuff to do, lots of missions to do. But there's also a nice storyline that you can kind of follow. And in this storyline, as usual, you're like liberating people from some kind of a dictator that's in control of the island. It's a fun game. It's a, every version, of course, has better and better graphics. So definitely anybody who's played previous versions, I would recommend this one as well. And then while I was playing that, I also noticed that Age of Empires 4 just came out. So last weekend was pretty much my weekend to go play Age of Empires. Uh, and Age of Empires, I think the first one came out over 20 years ago. I remember playing that in 1999. Uh, and that game, uh, the current version is really good. I mentioned it on, I think, in our past show. And somebody asked me, well, is it as good as the first one? Because the second and third kind of suck. And I do want to say it is as good as the first one. It just looks much better. So all the graphics, everything's been updated. But in terms of gameplay, much more true to the first version that came out. Now, aside from these three that I've been playing that are out, uh, in literally just a matter of, I think it's the middle of the month, so about two weeks, uh, Farm Simulator 21 comes out. 
And is this, is this a fun game? Farm Simulator? It's awesome. I love that game. I've been playing it ever since Farm Sim 13. Oh my God. So, How many? That's 13? Wow. Yeah. They, they, they typically released every other year. So 13, 15, 17, 19, uh, or 18. Well, what do we have? Anyway, whatever. It's roughly every two years. But that's been a, uh, a nice fun game because it's super realistic or as realistic as you can get without getting say, your hands. You're right. Doing manual labor while sitting yeah, in your lazy yeah. boy. It, it, pretty much. Uh, but all the models, all the tractors, all the farm equipment, all licensed exact models of what it looks like in real life. And it does all the same exact functionality. And it's, uh, it's very involved. It's, it's a relaxing game because at some point it's, well, not at some point, but it's, it's sort of low pace, meaning it's predictable. You're, you know, if you're going to plow a field, it may take you one to two hours of real world time, which is, of course, much less time than the several days that it would take you in real life. But still, for a lot of video games, doing something for a couple hours, like that's a much more relaxed pace than most video games have. So that's a game I've always enjoyed, FarmSim, and the new one is coming out in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I remember uh, playing an airline simulator on the Sega Genesis. That's about the last time I dealt with ugh, something like that. Okay. No. Well, the the Microsoft Flight Sim is out, and the current version is probably it's like super accurate. It's it's kind of like playing in Google Street View. Like everything you see out of the airplane is exactly what it looks like in real life, which is uh So when you fly into cool. the uh Willis Tower here in Chicago, it's uh you know, that was the most common activity done in the original Microsoft Flight Sim. Most people, because the game started you flying in Chicago uh-huh. out of um, Midway, I guess. Or no, what's O'Hare? that little airport on the water? Oh, Mixed Field. O'Hare. Yeah, Mixed the one Field. they shut down. Yeah. yeah, so you'd start the game there, and shortly after taking off, the only real landmarks you had were the Sears Tower. And, and the Hancock Tower. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people crashed into those two. <laughs> Uh, I remember that game from many, many years ago, but I think they've kind of realized that they need to start you flying off in places with less tall buildings. Maybe. And and not try to train the terrorists quite to do the Right? Yeah. Exactly. I mean, did they yeah. get that idea from Microsoft? Maybe there's money to be sued on oh, Microsoft. Clearly. Where else do you get an idea right. like that? Exactly. Uh and then the other thing that's coming out is the the next revision of Star Citizen which is a space video game, probably the most realistic looking, uh, very cool looking space sim. Uh, that is coming out, I think, on the 19th of the month as well. And that introduces a huge key component of medical play. And no, it's not as kinky as I was going to be like, what is medical play, Gene? It basically means that they've added hospitals in game. And instead of just simply being either fully alive or fully dead, oh. they've introduced this concept of being injured. So wait, wait, so you're going to get injured and then it's going to be like, you have to spend five days here before you can play more because. Well, no, but it will be like, you have to spend 20 minutes to an hour trying to recruit your friends to go rescue your ass <laughs> and then fly you to a hospital. So that you can recover the recovery. I think it'll be pretty quick in the hospital, but the getting somebody to rescue you will definitely add a whole new component of slow 
gameplay. Is this a service you're offering for people that might want to play along with you if they need rescuing? Gene will come get you for the right amount. Yeah, if you use my my uh, code to buy the game, hell yeah, the promo code, Sir Gene. Got to use my promo code, which will be included in the show notes. But I'm you got to send me stuff for the show notes now. I will send you stuff for the show notes. I just don't remember because it's it's just a bunch of gobbledygook numbers for the promo code. It's not like super obvious like my name or anything. But yeah, in that game, uh, they're also as part of that new rollout, they're doing a free uh ship rental and there's an in-game essentially it's the spaceship equivalent of a new new auto show like if you've ever gone to an auto show in a oh, convention yeah. center oh yeah that's essentially what they're gonna have in-game starting the 19th for a week for all the so new ships for all the ships period so every ship in the game which i think there's over 100 ships will be indoors in a convention center that you have to get to in the game so you can go and look at it. You can sit in it, test out its seats. Now, can third party, can, if you're a player of this game and you know how to do this, can mm-hmm. you create your own ships and sell them? Or is this all no. from the, okay, that's too bad. There, yeah. There are other games where you do build your own ships. Um, I like another one. I play a lot is Kerbals, which is a, a much more realistic spaceship simulator uh, in terms of physics and things. Do you say, how does anybody know what a realistic spaceship simulator is? Well, because we know what what happens in space. And like, for example, in Kerbal, uh, while you're learning how to play the game, you will start to understand orbital mechanics a lot better. You'll start. It's, it's one of the most confusing things to new people is docking two spaceships in space, because the way it happens on every TV show and every space movie is wrong. <laughs> it is literally wrong. That's not the way things work. So if you want to, for example, if you're trying to catch up to another ship in space, what you have to do, and you're both in orbit, this is specifically for orbital mechanics. Uh, if you're behind a ship and you want to catch up to them, what you have to do is actually fire your thrusters in the opposite direction to slow yourself down. And by doing that, you will actually start going faster and accelerate uh, to where you're trying to meet up with that ship. Uh, it, it's very counterintuitive. And, uh, we had some issues in the real world with our initial, uh, Mercury and Gemini guys because the, the understanding of orbital mechanics was literally being written as they're doing these missions in space. Um, but you're, you have to, you have to, really understand how you shift your orbits and then use those orbits to intersect other orbits in order to meet up. So that's the kind of stuff you learn in Kerbal. It's a really fun game. You also build your own rockets from scratch or space stations or anything else. You could build a space shuttle. You could build the ISS. You could build stuff way bigger than that. You can build colonies on the moon or Mars or anywhere else. It's a, it's a cool game. Uh, definitely hardcore. It's got a very steep learning curve because you're going to be learning a lot of math and, uh, you're going to be learning, uh, a lot of formulas and most of the stuff is not intuitive. And that is a bar for most people. Cause most people just want to sit down and play and have fun, not go and to that's school why first. You get into farm sim right? That, okay. with farm sim. The only stuff you have to calculate are, um, how much like corn you want? How much, how much seed and fertilizer do you need for a certain number of hectares? 
And then as you're putting them down, uh, where you're going to leave the tram lines in order to be able to do the least number of passes with a uh, roundup fertilizer, weed killer versus putting down, um, you know, other chemicals on the ground. So, okay, there's not math. There's still stuff that you have to learn how to do. It simulates real farming. Well, that's where the challenge is, right? But it's also much more relaxing. Like, you're not going to crash your spaceship or run out of oxygen playing farm sim. Yeah, reach out to us on No Agenda Social. What's your favorite just kind of sit around and chill game? Yeah, we know games. Well, I know games at least. Yeah, I don't really. I've never. I mean, I played Sims way back when, you know, Sim City, obviously. That was a fun one. They were, you know, that was quite interesting when you went from, you know, the old timey little towns as everything kind of got bigger and bigger, because that was always the the trick is how are you going to lay this out early to make sense as everything builds in. Right. You know, and have it, uh, you know, all work out, which I'm sure there were. you know, plenty of uh, hacks for that kind of stuff, but well, and there there are videos, YouTube videos, channels of like real architects playing these games. We're going no, or, or like there's a video of a guy that worked on the uh, one of the Mars rovers playing Kerbal, uh, and then trying to do duplicate. You know, the sending a Mars rover in the game and giving then, a is realistic thumbs up or down. Oh yeah, it's very realistic. I mean, they were. He was like, he said, "Yeah, I think I sweated about as much in the video game as I did in real life when this thing was on its way." Well, and that's it, because you will, if you're in a good immersive video game, you, you start feeling the pulse going up a little bit. Absolutely. When I had the full NASCAR setup with the wheel and the pedals and everything like that, and oh yeah, it's like yeah, you're getting into the competition factor of it. You you really start feeling it absolutely. And I've got uh, mine goes to the extent of it actually has uh, face and eye tracking. So in these games, if I move my head left, right, up, or down, the uh, the camera moves in the game. And depending on, you know, what I'm doing with my eyeballs, it'll be adjusted accordingly as well. You've put way too much into these video games, Gene. I'm not going to dispute that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what this is actually, though, what makes you the expert. If you're wondering yeah, well, about and- a game, especially if it's space orientated, orient, orientated, oriented, uh, then Gene's your guy because he spent the money and he's played. It. I think I've played most space games and there's a few that I still play, but I've probably played most of them at some point in time. Well, you're the guy, you're the expert, and we'll, we need a, we need jingles for all these segments. And then we can separate these segments into easy-to-consume chunks for people on YouTube and Rumble and Absolutely. Uh, and, and even a uh, little sub-podcast for it. That all would right, well, sense. let's wrap this thing up. Let's do it. Let's get it out of the way. We'll be back next week for more Unrelenting. Until then, I'm Darren O'Neill. I'm Sir Gene. <laughs>